Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Support WrestleTalk. Give us a subscribe. Hey everybody, I'm John Cena. Hey, it's professional wrestler Colt Boom Boom Gabbana. Hey, I'm Double J Jeff here. This is Rich Swan. Matt Riddle, the King of Rose. Support Wrestle Talk. Support Wrestle Talk. Support Wrestle Talk. Do it, bro. Support Ali. Support Luke. Support Wrestle Talk. Support Wrestle Talk. Home of Luke Owen. Whatever Wrestle Talk is, and whoever Luke Owen is, both the Ravens. Nevermore. Wrestle Talk. Hello there, pod splatters. As a lot of you will now be working from home due to the rather scary Steve Carino virus situation, and there's a lot of bad news in the press right now, we thought we would lighten the mood and thank you for being loyal listeners to this podcast by releasing an episode from our exclusive Patreon archives into the free feed, and we thought it would be fun to release our review of WWF Survivor Series 1997 i.e. that one with the Montreal Screwjob. So enjoy this deep dive into Survivor Series 1997 and stay safe everyone, we'll get through this together, we'll see you soon. Take care, I love you, goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I think the wrong guy won. This is bullshit. Everybody screwed me. I don't like him. I don't trust him, and I don't believe him. You know, a lot of people don't agree with my lifestyle, but it is mine. It's a phony little shit. Just because I come out here and choose to live my life openly and freely does not make you a better man. I don't respect you. understand what it means to have dignity, to have poise, to bring prestige to the World Wrestling Federation. I do this because I like it. You do it because in your mind, Mark Man, you really think all of this is yours. Wrestling. The heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, is the icon that can still go. You're nothing but a degenerate. Who is the show stopper? Me, the lowest form of skull. Who is the main event? Me. Let's settle the score right here, right My now. Super kick is gonna be one foot down yours. I'm gonna kick your little scrawny ass. Bradley's Electronic Karate Fighters presents the 1997 Survivor Series. Hello 
and welcome, or should I say, bonjour, <laughs> je suis Oliver. Oh no, why do I why do I say my full name? I don't know. I think that was me going back to language classes at school. Bonjour, je suis Oliver Davis. Davy. Why are you doing the accent? Uh, because I don't know another way. Ah, oh God. Okay, eh, or is that Spanish? Yeah, should we avec? Avec, so with. I was going to say, what's and in French? <laughs> right, let me go with Google Translate. I'll read it phonetically, because okay. that's how French is meant to be Google read, translates. isn't it? English to French. And. Um, oh. have an erase. Hello and welcome. Et is and. Et. I thought oh. I was right. I don't think you don't pronounce the consonants at the end of words. That's why it's such well, a lyrical language. It just, uh, apparently, it's actually. E. 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 <laughs> okay. Uh, <coughs> I should have known. <laughs> welcome. It's welcome then. What is it? Bien, bienvenue. Bienvenue. Which is just all over airports when you arrive. Indeed. I was trying to. I just. My mind automatically went to what do they do in the Olympics? Because that's where I feel like I hear the most French, outside of my, uh, you know, pretentious movie viewing habits. And your pornography. Of course, that's just more romantic. Yes. But, you know, in, in the Olympics, they repeat everything, they do everything in English, but because the French are the French, <laughs> you then have to say everything on the commentary in French afterwards. Is that so? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the... I'll be honest, I've never watched the Olympics, so I don't. So I've got no frame of reference for this. Not on BBC English commentary, but the tannoy in the arena. They have to repeat, you know, Even here if it's is in, this. Like when it was in London, is it still in French then? Why not in German? Well, you do English and then you do French. Or I think American. It's, it's something. They managed to get their stuff in. <laughs> yeah. Like in tennis. They maximise their minutes. It's, yeah, they get it all in there. Uh, you know, I, I really like watching gymnastics in the Olympics. Like just the French, just let everyone know we came up with a lot of this stuff. Oh, I it's see. Like, well, we don't say about all the stuff we invented. Like colonization. <laughs> but the French stole that from us as well. <laughs> uh, just look at like all of Africa. Oh, yeah, it's true. And, yeah. and Vietnam and all those places. Anyway, bonjour et bienvenue. Je suis Oli Davis et Luke Owen. Hello, Swaff Nation. Hello, Pledge Hammers. And a hello to you, Oliver Davis. How the devil are you? I'm going to play uh, the role of Jerry the King Lawler here, where it's like, have we got any English announcers? Yeah, it's. I guess that's, uh, yeah, because there is a, a big, what's the word? Territorial, geographical element to this pay-per-view we're going to discuss. Indeed. So it is Survivor Series 1997, went down on November 9th, 1997. Ooh. Not exactly the most newsworthy show that I think we've done in the history of Wrestle Ramble Extra. So nice. Wrestle Talk Extra. That's at the bottom, isn't it? Yeah, it, I, th I think that we could probably just about scramble to find a couple of things to talk about. Well, luckily, like it's like Kane's first pay per view match. Is that, yeah, there's is that, that right. That's, so yeah, that's, that's that's pretty newsworthy, I guess. Talk about that. I'm uh, I'm actually gutted that Pete's gone home because I wanted to have him here so that he could explain what happens with the poll. Do you know what happened with the poll? What did, no, I think it went live with the date of last month. No. So what Pete did is that Pete put up the poll with uh, last year's and the year before's War Games NXT shows as options. And as we saw with All In earlier oh. this year, 
people were not happy about that because we'd already reviewed those shows. And in fairness, we had reviewed those shows in more detail than we had all in. Um, did did we what we did war games the first war games yeah. did we ah I mean I might take a bit of heat for that because maybe he asked me and I said yeah I think it's fine <laughs> after the all but, in but but it's mostly Pete's fault yeah okay so it's all Pete's fault yeah yeah okay so Pete put up a poll with war games in it you know s hit the fan so he then took down that poll. Ooh, but and, that nullifies all the votes already cast. And went back to the two people who suggested those war games and said, give me a different suggestion. That's nice of Pete. He then put up a new poll. He pushed it live and then realised that he hadn't set an end date on it. <laughs> and he allowed multiple votes on certain things. Oh, no. <laughs> so someone could vote for the same option a lot of multiple times. Multiple times. Oh, dear. And I hope no one took advantage of that. Well, he very quickly realised his mistake and took that one down to then post up, and I quote, even newer poll, <laughs> WrestleTalk Extra November 2019, the poll. Uh, he I think writes, that's part of the scruffy charm, though, isn't it? He writes here, uh, this poll has been stopped and started again due to an oversight on my part. Both NXT, TakeOver, WarGames events have already been reviewed on WrestleTalk, so neither were eligible for the WrestleTalk Extra podcast. We have alternative suggest- uh, suggestions in place. I also had to restart this again because I allowed multiple votes per person <laughs> and didn't set an end date. Seri- <coughs> Seriously, when does Luke come back? Uh, did he uh, did he also tweet out a screenshot of a statement <laughs> written in notes? Because that's the real way to apologise. Well, I think you either do that or you have a screenshot of your own laptop, which reveals that you're watching uh, pornography uh, that people can easily make fun of. Yeah. Like muscly ladies, mm. which is the JBL one. Who's on this show? He is, yes. In a different guys. There's so many people. It is a bit like watching an alternate universe. But I will of, say of this: old gimmicks. I will say this of uh, of Pete. He, um, I mean, he did good. I told him, "Hey, man, like when you're writing up the post, have an image up there, have a little description, tell people about uh, you know the show, what to expect from that show." And, you know, make sure you've written down who the people were that suggested it. You're in Japan just to fill that in if, if people yes. were unaware. And so Pete did do that. But he didn't do it in chronological order. Oh, God damn it, <laughs> Pete. Just... Don't worry, I'll bring this up. I'll bring this up in his review. Look at this. Survivor Series 2002. Survivor Series 2003. T- uh, Victory Road 2004. Survivor Series 2011. November to Remember 1995. Oh, come on, oh, come on Pete. Come on, mate. What sort of order is that? And now I'm scrolling through. I'm like, well, now I, I can barely tell who's winning yeah. and, and this, that, and the other. But I can tell you that Survivor Series 1997 won. It was a close vote. It won by 17%. Like, it was that's, split. That's not a big margin, though. No. It won by 17% or it won with... 17%, yeah. It won with 17%. So only 17% of the whole... Yeah. What, what, wow, what were the other... Well, Survivor Series runners? 2002 got 12% of the view. vote. Survivor Series 2014, <coughs> which was the debut of Sting in also WWE... a great moment. 15% of the votes. So it was just lost out. On 2014? Out. Yeah, just lost out by 2%. Ooh. Those were the three big hitters. Turning Point 2009, the TNA show, got 10%. And then it was a couple of sevens and sixes. It was just a very, very split mm. vote this time around, which is quite interesting, really. It was quite yeah. nice. But uh, yeah, Survivor Series, 1997, suggested by leader of the boys, Dalton Sizemore, uh, won out on that My vote. Boys. <laughs> I did. I think someone did say that even through all three votes, they still voted for Ring of Honor, and it still didn't <laughs> win. 
even with all the the multiple votes. Yep. And then what it was, was what was Masai the Keels? Masai Keels, ha, still voted for ROH amidst all the poll changes. Uh, ROH got seven uh, percent of the vote, rise against two thousand eight, which had now gotta scroll and try and find where it is um <laughs> this is what dave writes if you want a crazy look at the current wwe roster 11 years ago this is a pretty good show for that nigel mcginnis takes on brian danielson wow. in the main event tyler black accompanies jimmy jacobs against mm-hmm. austin aries kevin steen and el generico open the show against the briscoes what and a tag more team they were indeed my word that's my era of ring of honor that though that series of matches between mcginnis and daniel bryan uh, of course, he was Brian Danielson back then. Nigel McGuinness, uh, you might know them as Desmond Wolfe. <laughs> uh, he that they it was over the oh my god, what was there? The Pure Championship. Mm. Oh, what a concept! A concept. I don't think you know this. This is might be an exclusive. We won't say his name, but someone we know came up with that. And if it's who I think it is, where you're yeah, looking yeah, at yeah. me, it really <laughs> came up with that title, and Gabe Sapolsky went, "That's a good idea." Wow, yeah. interesting. Uh, I mean, I've actually got another uh, look at the card here. So you got Austin Aries versus Jimmy Jacobs, an I Quit match. Uh, we've also got Roderick oh, Roderick Austin Strong, Aries. Roderick Strong, Brent Albright, and Ace Steel versus Davey Richards, Go Shikazaki, and Chris Hero, and a Four Corners match. Silas Young versus Claudio Castagnoli versus Sammy Callahan versus Alex Payne. Holy moly! I didn't know Silas Young was wrestling back then. <laughs> oh, he is like 65. Like, yeah, he, lo- he looks like he has been. But I, I thought, uh, you know, I only became aware of him. And I was watching a lot of Ring of Honor uh, in like 2013, 14. Mm. Well, that was suggested by the headmaster, Jonathan Hedman. Uh, but unfortunately, sorry, we, we, uh, maybe a Ring of Honor show will win at some point. We've, we've only got to talk about arguably the, the biggest... Ah, what would you? Because of course, there, there's like a, t- a a Mount Rushmore of wrestling stories. Yeah, that aren't you know not. And Kane's debut is one of them. That, that's well, that's not Kane. <laughs> so I would say the Chris Benoit murder suicide. Yep. I would say the purchasing of WCW. Yep. The screw job. And the screw job. Screw job's in there. It's got to be in like the yeah the Mount Rushmore yeah, of like biggest wrestling stories ever. Top. Five. I mean, that, can you think of anything else? Well, I mean, only recently could you say that AEW? I think but time will tell. Time will tell. On could, that because one. otherwise we would. You know, if you asked me in uh, February 2010, I would have said <laughs> TNA, TNA going head to head. That's very true. Um, so November 9th, 1997. Where are you, Oliver Davis? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm nine. I'm nine years old. I'm not watching wrestling. Um, what am I playing with? What's the hot toy of 97? Uh, probably Power Rangers, Pokemon, Star Wars. I'm probably playing Star Wars. Well, 1997 was a big year for of Star course, Wars. Of course, Menace. Well, no, that was, that was 99, but 97 was, was the, the re-releases. This was where special I... Special edition. <clears throat> totally, because I always thought... What is with this Star Wars malarkey? Because my cousin was hardcore into it from the age of four. I was very close to my cousin. I was like, I just don't, I, I think they look like rubbish toys. I don't, I don't get it. But then the Tazos came out. <gasps> Those Tazos, mate. Mm. I was a big Looney Tunes fan. Uh, so I would collect all the Tazos. Sounds like I'm a lot of, this was, this was seven, eight, nine year old Ollie. I collected all the Tazos. Dude, I'm three years older than you and I was collecting yeah, all yeah. them as well. Which is difficult because I will not touch Doritos. <laughs> Yeah, well, okay, but they also came in Walkers as well. Well, I had to buy, but like Doritos had, 
special That's ones. That's right, they did, which I never got because my parents would never buy Doritos. Yeah, and you couldn't get Tasmanian Devil ones. They're all exclusive to Doritos. What, what, and Taz what a, was my favourite. <clears throat> what a great little marketing trick there. Mm. Um, so I actually had to send off for them and buy them at an wow. extortionately large market value Crikey. rate. It's like two pounds a Tazo. For an eight-year-old child in the mid-90s. It's a lot of money. I, I, I didn't have a wage. No. <laughs> I just had to beg my mum and dad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was doing that. And it wasn't until that, like, the Tazos was the foot in the door. Because I was like, these images are pretty cool. And then the re-releases happened. And my dad took us to see Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Not the first one. Start you off hot. <laughs> <laughs> Not the first one. He took us to see... But, like, looking back on that, that's probably the best one to see as it's a the kid. the most kid-friendly one. <clears throat> yeah. And I, you know, blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, and, and from then on, I got the, the little VHS set that Christmas, the, the silver one. Oh, you got the silver one. We had the gold one. Because that was, the, that was the widescreen one. The silver one was full screen, I think. So but on a 4.3. On a 4.3 thing, yeah. 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 And, and it made the fart noise when you pulled it apart because yeah. the whole cardboard was so <laughs> tight. And it had, it had a special feature on, I It believe. did, yeah, because it told you about how they did all of the new effects That's and everything. It. Including re-putting in the Jabba the Hutt scene in A New Hope and how they... Because Harrison Ford walks around mm. the old Jabba the Hutt at one point and they have to like have him step up. Yeah. Us and yeah, step yeah. over him and have Jabba go <laughs> I remember watching that I couldn't watch it downstairs because my mum and dad would you know, be watching their telly but in their room they had this tiny 14 inch telly bonkers uh, but it was combined with a VCR Nice. and I would just watch these Star Wars videos over yeah. and over again and yeah that, that blew my mind that Jabba the Hutt because that was the first thing, there wasn't the internet I didn't have an older brother to tell me what was what I, I was just like there was another Jabba the Hutt? What? Yeah, yeah. And that just like that opened up everything even more. So I wanted to know about the human Jabba the Hutt's backstory. Uh, but yeah, oh, wow. God, I love Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a fun That's time. That's where I was. Where were you? It was a fun <laughs> time to be a Star Wars fan. Uh, so 1997, so I am 11 years old uh, at this point. I'm uh, going, going towards my 12th birthday. Um, what are you asking for? PlayStation games, I would assume. Mm. So 1997 is a year that I'm, I'd am i remember very vividly because it was my first year of secondary school. Um, I actually, funny enough, I was talking about this on the Q&A session we did recently. Year seven. Year seven. Um, what was the name of the school? Deanfield School. Deanfield. Deanfield School uh, was my school that I went to. And our school had just got the internet. Um, well, and did, did you go over to America Online keyword superstars? <laughs> I didn't do that, no. But I, I remember it. At least it, it was either in 97 or 98 that we got the internet. I only remember my login was 97L Owen. Um, and my password was Danny Cadamatri, who was a football player for Everton. <laughs> um, and uh, my first website I ever went to was Capcom.com mm. because I saw it on, on the booklet for a Street Fighter game that I had for my PlayStation. It was either that or it was Mega Man X7. It was either one of those two, but I saw the name, Cap- I saw the website, Capcom.com, and I was like, when I get the internet, that's, the first, that's where I'm going to go and find out what I can find about Capcom.com. Turns out, you find out lots of business things. Oh, so it was their corporate site. Yeah, pretty much. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, <laughs> not interesting for a, very, for a first website to visit. Well, well at, that, at that time in the internet's infancy, it was that old porn. Yeah, well, yeah. Very slow to buffer porn. Yeah. And I'm not talking buffer video stuff. I'm no, talking no. that image yep. is going to load in rectangular blocks downwards. Yes. 
and you'd sometimes have the promise of, oh, there's a fully nude picture of Nev Campbell if you click this link. Half an hour later, it's not. <laughs> it's absolutely not. It's like Photoshop is really good these days. But back in those days, it was very crude. No. Probably Microsoft Paint. <laughs> so just someone had cut it, really badly cut out Neve Campbell's face, yeah. popped it on a porn image. So that's where I'm at it in, in 1997. Um, yeah, starting out of secondary school. Mm. Big into my PlayStation, big into my Tazos. Um, and big into my Star Wars. Loved those special edition re-releases. It's crazy to look back at those re-releases now, the special editions, and be like, this is what Star Wars fans wanted. And then you cut forward 10 years later and everyone's like, will you stop releasing special editions? I want the old ones again. Well, I think it's because, I mean, it's weird how the Star Wars George Lucas story does have parallels with the WWE McMahon story. Just that it's someone who... George uh, Lucas bought all the territories. Bought all, yeah, essentially. And, and he, uh, yeah, he, he changed the business, the industry he was in, and then almost thought he was the supreme god and could go back and rewrite history mm-hmm. and tell tell fans specifically no this is my history and, and we're it gonna doesn't matter. see that in this episode yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's a lot of rewriting of history around the screw job so yeah, actually that's a very good point i told you my theory that i think george lucas is a time traveler no so my my version of events is that uh george lucas in 1980 went to go see a film that was called star wars and he then saw how it all blew up and how this trilogy of films came out and the toy sales were massive and it became this big cultural phenomenon. And then, almost Back to the Future 2 style, an older George Lucas came back from the future and told a younger George Lucas in 1977, hey, got to check this film out. You've got you to make this film. And so in 1976 or 1977, George Lucas makes Star Wars and he has the foresight to sign all the deals with Fox, where he's like, "No, I'm not going to have my, I'm not going to have my fee. I want the toy rights, because he knows now that the toy deal is going to become a big thing for it, and that's where he's going to make all of his money. So he rides all the success of this, you know, because he's now created Star Wars, until it gets to a point where it's like, now you've got to make your own films. He's like, uh oh, now I've got to make my own version of Star Wars, and I've got nothing to back it up." And that's why the prequel trilogy is the way that it is, because he never he never wrote those original movies. So you think rather than having a bit of business acumen and one good idea that he got better people to make for him, it's more likely to be a, a, a time traveling version of himself. Yeah, it, it, it checks out. You know, if, the, if, the, if the boot fits, mm. you know, which I think it does. Or oh, just a, just another aside, because we're talking about toys a lot. I did a couple of Toys That Made Us episodes over the weekend. The season three? No, no, because I just like dip in. Okay. Um, because I have to sort of cater to my lady partner there who won't sit through a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I'd be yeah. like, okay, let's watch Hello Kitty. Let's watch Lego. We're now watching Barbie. It is, even though I've got no real connection to Hello Kitty, I was welling up in the last three minutes. It's cool, right? Like there's, there's a gear shift that they do in the last five minutes of that show where they're like, <laughs> Everything is connected to toys. <laughs> and the Lego one particularly got me quite hard. And this was after me making fun of you about crying at the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one. So I, I, I just wanted to apologize. To okay. Uh, this series, actually, they do um, wrestling figures. Yes, yes. Yeah, which has got a really, really fun story of backstabbing. And like right at the start, it's just like, in, I'm already like, you've weaved such a good narrative 
for this. You've made this way more interesting than it really deserves to be. The Power Rangers episode is also very good because that really dives into the history of um, Haim Saban and getting the getting the right the rights to the um, Tokusatsu stuff. It's great, really, really good stuff. On that point, on that note, it is November 9th, 1997. Come on, come on. What is the number one film at the box office, Oliver Davis? By the way, it's a belting film. English Patient. No. (laughs) I feel like that was the only film that came out for several years. I just, being, you know, like that was, in my head, that was boredom. (laughs) Yeah. As a, as a kid, yeah. Well, that looks. There's no, no. It's just love, and it's, it's old love. Do you know what? That for me is Dancing with Wolves. Yeah, yeah. yeah that for, <laughs> that for me personifies. But it's got cowboys and Indians in. It's... I can see that. Oh, I guess English Patient has soldiers in. Technically, yeah. um, okay. It's a Belter. Uh, Ninety-seven Godzilla. Roland Emmerich. That's ninety-eight. Uh, what came out in ninety-seven? Jumanji. Uh, it is not Jumanji. I think that's ninety-five. Mm. So this would be later. Well, give me a clue, because I, th- I think I uh, get it. Action movie, um, foreign director, known for his sort of like big, big over-the-top action. So it's Independence Day? No. It's not, no. Roland, but Roland Emmerich. It's not Roland Emmerich, no. Ah, foreign director, known for action. Well, known ah. for very over-the-top, over partic- the particularly th- over-the-top violence and, and things like that. Uh, so, uh, what's the... Is, uh, are they... Sorry, Japanese or Korean? Are they Asian? No, they're not, no. So I was going to say Face Off. Um, if only it was Face Off. What a great film. Face Off. Um, oh, God damn it. I want more clues because I want to, I want to have the thrill of getting it. Okay. Uh, science fiction. Mm. Set in the future in space. Mm. Was that Alien 3? No. That was like 1995, I think. Was that, was that yeah. early? Um Sci-fi in space, 97. Might have been early in 95. Foreign director known for over-the-top stuff. God, you know what? Just tell me. It is Starship Troopers. Oh, God damn it! <laughs> Directed by Paul Verhoeven. Paul Ver- starring... Um, I wouldn't have got it. No? No. No, but I should have. Gary Busey's kids in there. What a movie. Such a good film. It, it Would you like to know more? It's so ahead of its time. Yeah. It, it's a satire Doogie that House doesn't judge. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Judged by the big brain at the mm. end. Yeah. Oh, man, the bug. What a great villain as well. Like that opening scene where it's like the, the, the news shooting the action. It's such a great film. Yeah. Love really it. Good. Song, US and UK. <laughs> now, the UK one surprised me based on what the US one was. So, 97, Spice Girls. Uh, no. I, I'm going to give you a, a clue for this one. need it. There was a big earth-shattering event that happened in 1997. Uh, Robbie left Take That? No, I don't think that was... I think that was nice. Was that, was that later? I, mean, I think that was later. Might have been later. Um, there, but this was, like, big, big news. We're talking pop culture or... Real, real world. Real so world. big... That Bill Clinton uh, that it, it put an end to my cartoons being on in the morning when I woke up because really? there was news instead. So not then it's not Clinton impeachment. It's not Clinton impeachment. Uh, no. Iraq war that was already on the way. Clinton impeachment was nineteen nine. Was it yeah. later? Oh, oh, I'm not good at these. I mean, this and is to be and fair. I was nine, and it's English. Although it didn't actually happen in England, but it is. It, it is. It was British news. 
British. Oh, it's Princess Di. It's Elton John. Yes. It's Candle in the Wind. Live your life like a candle in the wind. I'm always sad that he didn't then go into Rocket Man. (laughs) You could just bring people up a bit. Yeah, totally. Just do do a a, a set. Yeah. Just do a little medley set. Because Elton John and Princess Di were very close. And so he re-released Candle in the Wind for Princess Di. And it was number one in the UK forever. Like forever. Remarkably, it was longer number one in the US, though. (laughs) If you didn't live through that period, folks, I'm sure you're familiar with The Rock being the people's champion and how beloved he is. Diana was the people's princess. Everyone loved Princess Diana. And yeah, it's a true story. I woke up on a Sunday to watch my cartoons and there was no cartoons. It was Mm. just news. And I remember going to my parents to ask them, why aren't the cartoons on? And it's because... Princess Diana had died. And that was all over the news. She had essentially been harassed by paparazzi, and then the car crashed. Well, if you believe that version. <laughs> I had to I had to go round my grandparents' house to watch the funeral. So we could all be together for the funeral. Yeah, I, I, I was at my grandparents' for the funeral yeah. as well. It was, you know, it was a thing that we, like a family member had died. And, you know, like, of course it's very sad. I'm not trying to undermine that. But even at that age... I thought it was ridiculous that we had to go to my grandparents for someone's funeral just because they were famous. Yeah. Uh, but still a sad situation. It's a sad, sad situation mm. to pull another Elton John line. <laughs> um, but yeah, the number one in the UK. Think Candle in the Wind by Elton John, but the complete opposite. Also, uh, oh, so it's up-tempo. Very up-tempo. You've actually partially mentioned it in this episode already. What? Yeah. At least the subject matter of the song you have mentioned partially in this episode oh, already. I'm not, not going to remember that. If, if you Can I have a clue? God, I'm just clue-heavy okay. today. It is... Uh, it Raging is... clues. <laughs> okay. Um, I reckon German Dan probably loves it because it's very Europop. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we're going to... Venga Boys it's were not a bit the, later. It's not the Venga Boys, no. But, like, it's you're not... A hundred million miles off. S Club or later. Yeah. This was like a big bubblegum pop song. Um, female singer, but also had a guy singer on there as well. Barbie Girl. That's exactly no. it. It's Barbie Girl like by Aqua. Aqua. <laughs> I'm wow. a Barbie Girl. In a Barbie world. Life is plastic. It's fantastic. You can touch my hair and dress me everywhere. Imagination, lights of variation. Come on, Barbie, let's, let's go, go party. I'm a Barbie girl. Yeah, uh, yeah, great album. One of my friends at school sung that on karaoke, and it was this was you know we were thirteen, fourteen, and somehow someone filmed it. And it was Whoa. shared around all of us. And that was the first time, like, <laughs> a viral thing had happened yeah. within the confines Locally of my school. Locally viral. Yeah. I don't even know how we watched it. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably, if you ever went on The Apprentice, you could bring that up. Yeah. When people say, like, when Alan Sugar tells you to make a viral video, you can say, <clears throat> I've got experience in this. I oh, actually yeah. made one of the first viral videos. I, well, I didn't, I didn't film it, but, but you were part I, of. I would probably bring up WrestleTalk first. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right, so on to the show itself. Um, looking at the Observer at the time, uh, this is 
much like our own Patreon poll, very split in terms of opinion. Ah. Thumbs up, 39.7%. Pretty low, though. Thumbs down, 29.3%. Thumbs in the middle, 31%. So it's mostly leaning upwards, but it is also slightly in the middle and slightly down. Dave Meltzer sort of, like, agrees with that review. I think he's sort of, like, in that middling mindset. Obviously, there's a lot in this Observer. Yeah. Yeah, as you would imagine. Did it come out immediately, then? Is this, like, the the, the week after? Yeah, this is wow. the week after. So he, there, it's a two-part Observer special. So the first part, and we'll, we'll break this down much later in the episode when we get to the actual finish itself. This will be, like, the, the epilogue of the show. But the first part of it is just, it's a day-by-day breakdown. Oh my god, how interesting. Starting from like 1996, like when Brett first <laughs> signed his 20-year contract with WWF, and then jumping ahead a couple of months to be like, and yeah. then this happened, and then this happened. Basically, all the events that led up to this night. And then the following is sort of like the update of like, here's some more that I've learned. Wow. And I've also got another one from a recent Observer he did this year, which is all the Jim Cornette stuff, which is where Jim Cornette told Meltzer, here's what happens but you're not allowed to publish it until I die. And in the in the case that you die first, uh, Brian Alvarez can publish Whoa, it. Oh, that's what's in the lockbox. And then, in the end, Cornette did that, uh, was it the Vice interview, yes. like the Vice series they did, where he just yeah. told the stories. And Meltzer was like, well, Cornette's done it now, so I may as well just publish it here. That <laughs> this is, is what Cornette told me. Oh, my God. From my experience dealing with some wrestlers, that's that's. That's totally, <laughs> that is such a wrestler thing to do. They are this strange creature. It is the a wrestler. weird world as to well. To step in, because most wrestlers, if they're doing it full time and stuff, they live in that world and they've been brought up in that world. To step in like we all have from the actual real world. Yeah. Uh, is that there's a culture shock there. Yeah, it really is, particularly when reading The Observer. But I'm gonna, uh, so I've got a lot of Observer to read here. In fact, actually, this is a, a big old chunk, so I apologize in advance, but I thought this was very interesting tonight. Uh, the show, when it was over, was overshadowed by the finish of the main event and the aftermath. Before the show had even started, it was guaranteed the show would be upstaged by the main event, both the quality of which and the backstage maneuvering, negotiating professionalism, and ultimately threat of double-crossing rather than anything that the, took place underneath. As it was, it's the same broken record. The lack of talent depth in the WWE WF was made even more glaring in a show format that requires so many wrestlers to work the show. Even more glaring was the problem that seems to be in the picking of talent. Historically, the WWF has been known as the big man territory. In the 80s, that served them good steed because they were controlling the fan base into the idea that the steroid look was superior and then continued to parade out an assembly line of guys who weren't generally very good workers but provided fans with what they wanted. In the 90s, for numerous reasons, mainly media and government pressures, things had to change which is where Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels talented mid-carder performers that were generally considered in the 80s to not have the main event potential due to their size got their shot at superstardom. But even in those days, WWF still marketed successfully some marginally talented and even under-talented big men to the top of their cards. If you look at the undercards of WWF versus WCW, in WCW you are filled with small men who wow the crowds with matches they get over. WWF has the same big men doing an outdated style of, plotted bra- of plodding brawling that gets no heat on big shows and generally Michaels and or Steve Austin or Hart are there at the end to save the show. 
WCW still has the terrible main event matches, but it can't be argued with the results of the buy rates, and that's those terribly over 40 wrestlers that work on top draw with the casual fans through their name recognition. But for every Kane, which is a gimmick that seems to be hitting it big, you have far too many crushes, interrogators, Brian Lee's, Justin Hawk Bradshaw's, Justin Hawk Bradshaw's, Cameron Mustafa's, who are all huge men with no fan appeal, or men like Farouk and Ahmed Johnson with little ability to uh, in the ring, and some, but not overwhelming, fan appeal. The wrestlers in the first two matches on this show were a lot worse than I see locally independent with uh, than I see locally with independent wrestlers with little experience. And the wrestlers they are scouting on the independent scene are close to Brian Lee's than to Shawn Michaels, both in terms of size and talent. If you get my drift. Mm. So it's incredible to think, even in the late '90s when WWF was scouting for talent, they were still looking at the same big lads that they would just carry through till probably about 2010. Is probably when they started to change their minds. And that, that line about uh, Dave Meltzer going to local indie shows and seeing a much superior back then modern style of wrestling, which I imagine is what started to emerge in 2002, 2003 in WWE. Yeah. Just like how, you know, the, the in-ring product a couple of years ago was being far surpassed buy stuff outside the company yeah ring of honor tna mm. were just completely oh, look at tna were, in 2005 they were eclipsing wwe yeah. in terms of in-ring style it's it's it just the more things change the more they stay the same and when you look at any major company that's because you've got the same person in charge yeah like it's a, when we say WWE and, and and all this stuff, you can almost switch that out for Vince McMahon, and that's more appropriate. Yeah, uh, because like look at Apple. I've been I've been been reading a lot about Apple recently. Um, Steve Jobs, the company under him, was away for that for that time, and it had all the successes and all the pitfalls of that. But Tim Cook comes in, takes over, arguably actually does a better business job, and has completely changed the culture. But and wasn't where it's held next towards a service based thing. But yeah, it's like it's. It's like showrunners on TV shows. Yeah, completely. You, you know, it's like the the show is only really as all those problems will never go away because that person is there, and it's like it magnifies and amplifies their worst parts and their best parts. And these are Vince McMahon's worst parts, and we see it still today. Baron Corbin getting a push. Rowan weirdly isn't getting a push anymore, but, but he is. He's getting on. He's getting TV mm. time. Like he likes big lads. It's, you know, Ross's joke of Vince McMahon like big sweaty men isn't just a joke. Like, that is that's fact. It's been the same since the 1980s. And here we are in nearly 2020, 40 years later, and he still is on the mindset of if you're big, you get over. And if you're small, you don't. Yeah. And I've got to point out the fact that you are small. And that is frankly weird. Yeah, like Shorty G. It's, yeah. it's happening right now. Daniel Bryan. Yeah. They, they, the whole storyline with Daniel Bryan was like, well, you're a bit mm. small, aren't you? You're, <laughs> you're not supposed to be a champion, are you? And it's not just that. It's nationalistic tendencies. It's a, a reliance on uh, sexualization of women. Yeah. If you're them. foreign, you can't be a, a exactly, babyface. Yeah. You have to be a heel because you can't connect to an audience. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, you know, <laughs> massively in 1997. And I've, I've completely got to agree with Meltzer when watching this show. This undercard is awful you struggled a lot you were uh it took yeah. me 
three days to watch 20 minutes of this show. Which were the first two matches, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think I got partway into the third match and I'm like, I've got to tap out. And I just kept trying to dip into it. Eventually, I sat myself down. I was like, I've got to force myself to watch this. Do you know how not good this show is? Mm. I got a message today from Phil Stopford. Yeah, yeah I saw who it. Who said, he doesn't like this show. And if Phil Stopford doesn't like a show <laughs> from the 90s of WWF, it's not good. Yeah, the reason this is such an important show is because of the backstage happenings. And I would actually argue the Kane Mankind stuff was very enjoyable. I like. I actually really yeah. like that match, yeah. It's my uh, favourite thing on the show. But, uh, it's so, so just to run down the card, you've got four four-on-four four Survivor Series elimination-style matches and three singles matches. Yeah, based around the Gang Wars thing that was really running rampant through, uh, through 1997. And I like the Gang Warfare like, idea and concept. But where... So I was just going through previous Survivor Series. Where did the five-on-five five thing come from? Well, that's... Oh, yeah, I suppose it was. I mean, 2000, I remember it being five-on-five. Five. Yeah. And actually, 1999, it was five-on-five. Five. But... Deadly Games was 98, so there wasn't any of that there. Yeah, so maybe it might have been 99 then. In, in the modern era, it's usually five-on-five five stuff, but the previous four years are all four-on-fours. Mm. And then the year before that, I think it's like the the money, the Ted DiBiase's team uh, yeah. versus Nasty Boys, I think. And that that's a five-on-five. Five. So we're in this weird stretch where WWE... F don't really care about the Survivor Series stipulation. Like that that's quite obvious. It's just a name. It's and these they are, don't care these about are the concept. Just matches. Yeah, and it's there's so many of them. We say it with Hell in a Cell matches, you can't have more than I mean, really, you can't have more than two a year, <laughs> let alone let alone two a show. You've got four of those on this, and it's just all the same match. They're rushing through the matches to get to the last two guys. And it's hilarious that you say rushing when there's so much plodding. Yeah, yeah. Because it is. It is slow going. And that's not to say that, are you looking at it through 2019 eyes? Because you watch the undercard of WCW in 1997, and it is fast-paced stuff. And it's really, really well-worked wrestling matches. And then you compare that to this undercard. And this undercard is plod, 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 big slam, plod, 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 into the corner, plod, 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 rest hold. There is a match that we will come on to where four people are eliminated with a sidewalk slam. <laughs> oh, baby. It's dated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yet, just by the very nature of those matches, because you've got to have at least seven pinfalls, they're long. Yeah. 15 minutes, 17 minutes, 10 minutes, 21 minutes. And they are matches where there is nothing happening. It's just eliminations. Lads get in, do some stuff, eliminations happen, one team wins. Yeah. Well, the, the, the show kind of knows that because the opening recap package, all about Michaels versus Brett. Yeah, totally. Uh, recapping the WrestleMania match from last year or the year previous with the 60-minute time limit draw, which mm, then went into overtime, wow. which for my money is a boring match. Yes, yeah, it is, yeah. 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 But really boring. A great story. Well, they just... Great they story. just don't do much for 45, 50 minutes. Yeah, exactly. It's like an Okada match. Yeah. Criticism! Yeah. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can tell that we're now in the Attitude Era because there's a lot of swearing in this. <laughs> well, I wrote uh, that, and I think I've used this analogy before, we are in the Attitude Era, 
but we're not fully in the Attitude Era yet. That one, I would argue it doesn't start until Austin. Austin winning the title mm. at WrestleMania in 98, that kickstarts the Attitude Era. Yeah, because the 316 promo was... 96. Yeah, so the, the year previously, yeah. uh, we haven't had... No, Tyson was the no, Tyson's Tyson was next 90, year. Exactly, which is like all yes. the 98 stuff. So I think the 1998 is the actual start of the Attitude Era, mm. but this 1997 period is the shift from Federation years yeah. into the Attitude Era. It's like the transitional phase. So when Triple H tells you that he invented the Attitude <laughs> Era, really, he was just there while it was transitioning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, I mean, I, what's the? it's the Pillman with the gun angle that a lot of people yeah. point to as the first real Attitude Era moment. But... Here, I so so imagine a photograph from the twenties, and you've got a black and white inner city road, and on that road is a horse, but there's also a car, <laughs> and you're like, well, that's weird. Yeah, that these two things are right next to each other. There was a period of time where they both existed, where the British bulldog pre-jeans era <laughs> was wrestling with gold dust yeah you know absolutely um hbk calls him a mark man mm. which i love that it's just like calling such a mark for himself recapping of hbk refereeing the SummerSlam match against bret hart and yeah. the undertaker where brilliant actually you know i'm gonna i'm not the biggest Shawn michaels fan in this period of time because i think he's a complete goober yeah. but his selling in that SummerSlam match is fan freaking tastic or he has to count the has to count the pinfall his selling of it is absolutely amazing but he counted the pinfall so brett won the title back and it, it's really it's so good it makes me forgive all of the <laughs> nonsense that michaels had done the year pre like in the lead up to that where he's like oh you're gonna drop the title to sid oh, actually i've got an injury yeah. that i can't oh no i think i've lost my smile get out mate and and the uh when sean's in the wheelchair no no it was brett Brett's in the wheelchair. Brett's in the wheelchair and Sean Because he got, it, got legit injured. Mm. And um, they, but they carted him out to continue being heel Bret Hart and continue that character to continue that momentum going forward because he was so over. And the Hart Foundation was such an oh, overact, yeah. particularly in this America versus Canada war. That it was like, you can't take him off TV. He's, and he's so good in this role. It's, it's a really, really fascinating feud not just because of the the personal animosity the real life personal animosity how it went down at the end of this pay-per-view but the idea that a wrestling act could be hated in one location but cheered like heroes in another and and you know that that whole team canada idea the heart foundation and it is remarkable that the parody this company does not figure that out no. because they keep booking the canadians as heels on this show in montreal in montreal <laughs> every time like team canada were working heel or owen hart was working heel i'm like Lads, yeah. the, the formula's right there. You've been doing it all year long. How have you not figured this out? Uh, anyway, this this uh, pay-per-view is presented by Karate Fighters. Milton Bradley's oh. Karate Fighters. Oh, baby. It's Survivor Series. Gang rules. Um, the, that with sounds a like a, a recipe for bumming in prison. Well, it's with a Z, so you know, Ooh, you know cool. it's cool. Tip. Um, so... There's a sign in the crowd on the opening shots. I don't know if you saw it. It's quite rare, this. Blank kicks ass. A sign has been censored by the network. It just says something, because it's pixelated, kicks ass. 
interesting because there's a lot of homophobic slurs on some of these signs and those are not censored. Yeah. So this one really must have been, I think it's Benoit. Why well, is it too early? Well, Benoit was in, he was in WCW. Why would he go back and, and censor that from a, I don't think they ever went back and censored signs to my knowledge. I don't know. I do. I, I've, really, I've it, heard from some people that they've said they have toned down some of like, particularly when Benoit was in that sort of 2000, when there was like, he has got a killer instinct. Hmm. Apparently they toned down a lot of those promos and a lot of that, that content. So maybe they have gone back to edit this sort wow. of stuff. Uh, our commentators are Jim Ross and Jerry oh, the King Lawler. Brilliant. No Vince McMahon on commentary as he's been there for most of the year. Um, ho, 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 that level of Vince McMahon commentary. What have we got here? Back body drop. Oh, ho, ho, look at that action. I've never thought Vince was a good commentator. No, no. Uh, there, there, was a, there is a peculiar appeal to see him out there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this is... I mean, he was transitioning away from the commentary booth into a... Into, in, you know, what is it? Six? No. Has he done the thing with us? Has he taken the stunner yet? No, no, exactly. No, I mean, that's after he wins the title. Is that after Mania? Yeah. Oh, wow. But it's again, all merged the, into one form. But again, this is a lot of like the sort of blurring of WWF rewriting their own history. When mm. they put out these video packages to be like, oh, and when Austin stunned McMahon, it was the first time you ever really saw McMahon in that position. Bret Hart was doing it this year yeah. where he was beating up Vince McMahon around ringside because McMahon was trying to screw him. Mm. Like, it's, it, it, it wasn't new. <laughs> And it was it was Vince transitioning out from being oh 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 commentary <laughs> into being I am now an on screen character I am the owner of this company because when he was on commentary he didn't want to be referred mm. to as you are the owner he's just the commentator so he is now transit we see him later on with Sergeant Slaughter uh, as Vince McMahon the owner um, or Mr McMahon or Mr McMahon yes um, but we but even then I think Mr McMahon wouldn't be born until mm. the the Austin era. Um, we cut to the Spanish commentary team, but you can't hear them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was... JR, by the way, sounds so young. Yeah. So I'm used to hearing him a lot. I mean, both Lawler and uh, JR, actually, uh, on commentary. That's right true, now. they are, I didn't yeah. think of that until just now. Um, but yeah, JR's voice sounds young. Yeah. I've never realised that before. And uh, the French team, they then cut to the French team, who gets some of their audio. <laughs> Bonjour. Bienvenue. <laughs> yeah. uh, and also there's an actual blimp flying around in the crowd. Oh, it makes you want to go back to this sort of 1997 <laughs> period when that was like, oh, we can put a blimp up for you. <laughs> what? Brilliant. We could put Milton Bradley's karate fighters on it. It's great. Yeah. Uh, I, I much prefer that to the augmented reality nonsense <laughs> that we get from WWE these days. Well, now it would just be a case of karate fighters would be the name of the stadium that they're in uh, because <laughs> Milton Bradley bleh, would have bought it. Uh, but our opening contest, it is Survivor Series action. It's the Headbangers teaming with the new Blackjacks taking on the Godwins and the New Age Outlaws. Oh, wow. <laughs> Those gimmicks naturally fit each other. New Age Outlaws are a new team at mm. this in this period of time. They, I mean, of all of this, they are a a level above that they feel they feel like in hd whereas everyone else is in standard definition that's a really good way to put yeah. it yeah particularly like the headbangers the new blackjacks which feels like such an outdated gimmick mm. in 1997 and the godwins which is, is like a real holdover of the federation years they are heels now my thing i, I thought about the godwins though is just that oh you're the wyatt family uh -huh. like particularly henry 
where he's got like the big stains down. And I was like, that's what you wanted Luke Harper to be. Totally. Because yeah. he had like the day thing and Lord would say, like, when was the last time he washed that jacket? Or when was the last time he washed that vest? He's making those exact same commentary points about Henry Henry Godwin here. And it just really does back up that story that Vince doesn't like Luke Harper because he can't do a Southern mm. accent. Because he saw the Wyatt family, he's like, oh, you're a Southern act. Mm. And particularly you from Rutherford, New Jersey. <laughs> I don't know where he's from New York, but he's yeah. like, you're from New York, give me a southern accent. Um, three weeks ago on Raw, Billy Gunn crashed a boombox into the head of Headbanger Mosh. So they're in a, a big feud at the moment because they listen to Marilyn Manson. They actually use that as part of their promos. They listen to their Marilyn Manson CDs backwards. You could tell that Vince Russo was writing this and he had no... He just knew that as a pop culture thing but didn't actually know what it was. <laughs> so like, it's what all the kids are doing, right? Yeah. They, well... Vince Russo not taking the time to think about something. <laughs> um, it's so weird seeing Road Dog doing his like Road Dog style intro to the Godwin's entrance music. I appreciate what they did though. They kind of said like that they are they kind of dress like Confederate yeah. in, in a Confederacy gimmick to to fit in with the uh, the Godwins. He calls the headbangers and blackjacks steers and queers. Mm, they'll learn the meaning of Southern justice. Yeah, and he calls the headbangers butt bangers. It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Billy Gunn is wearing a cowboy hat, but it hasn't got the top on it. That made me laugh. <laughs> but they're just like, their level of tomfoolery yeah. was, was, is hugely appealing. I can, you can hear Triple H in the background go to Shawn Michaels like, I think we should get these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they might get over. They've got personality. <laughs> uh, JR says that Phineas Godwin only spent three years at school, and that's why he's in the position he's in. Um, and then compares Bradshaw to Stan Hansen, which is actually something that Bradshaw would get for a lot of his career. I think, and it's particularly seeing him wrestle here where he's very Lariat and Brawl focused. Yeah, it's, totally. It's a really good comparison. I like, uh, though, that when Road Dog tags in and realizes that he's in the ring with Bradshaw, starts apologizing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ro- Road Dog would say a lot in interviews that he hated working Bradshaw because Bradshaw was stiff AF. Mm-hmm. And when <laughs> I was telling the stories that uh, I think I've told this one on the podcast before because it really makes me laugh, where they they would rib each other, uh, Billy Gunn and Road Dog, where Road Dog would go and kick Bradshaw in the back <laughs> as hard as he could, and would then tag in Billy Gunn and then like ra- run up the ramp. Oh my! So God. then Billy Gunn would have to get in and get the repercussions of Bradshaw. Oh. And he goes, and it was always really funny until I did it, forgetting that it was actually a double shot and we had to wrestle him again later that night. <laughs> and he goes, and then I got beaten up. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got our first pin. It's Henry gets pinned by a crucifix. Um, and this is why a lot of people don't like Survivor Series because you just get clotheslined and pinned. Yeah, there's so many weak eliminations. Not, I mean, they might be the guy's finishers and they're just very unimpressive. But it's, not, it's like not even set-up moves or uh, yeah. signature moves. Well, Blackjack Wyndham gets pinned by a clothesline, like shortly thereafter. Just a, just a clothesline, out he goes. Mm. Um, oh, this is quite dull at this point. JR says that Mosh went to college and King says that it went wrong when he w- watched too many Marilyn Manson videos oh for him. God. Uh, Billy Gunn gets some good heat, though, and the crowd chant yes. Billy's gay at him. He, he, well, he takes off his shirt and it just, everyone goes nuclear. It just shows, like, where the crowd's minds are at and they naturally gravitate towards this hot new act as yeah. opposed to this holdover from the other era. Completely, yeah. Uh, Gun pins Mosh uh, with a reverse bulldog into a front slam and then uh, Thrasher and Bradshaw now remain as the baby faces with the Outlaws and Phineas. Um, King wants to know that King points at this point, where's Vince McMahon? And JR mm-hmm. says, well, we're going to hear from him later on. 
Uh, my note reads here, this is really boring now. Well, Bradshaw, that, who, who's actually, re- like, I've always said, I think he's a really good wrestling presence. That the JB that to have this side of him as well as the JBL character later in his career with a different promo is is a, a testament to the guy's talent. Unfortunately, he's you know very awful human being oh, from yeah. all the stories about him. But he he runs wild here, and he has like I, I really enjoyed his lariats and oh when he is stiffing mm. people, it is actually quite a joy to watch. Yeah, uh, but then he just gets pinned. And it looks like he get he he kicks out. Yeah. But then the referee's like, no. And he just he walks to the back and everyone seems a bit confused. Everyone's so confused at this point. But yeah, he does get he doesn't get pinned, but they tell him that he is. Um so we're down to Thrasher and the Outlaws. Billy gets a blind tag. Uh Thrasher tries to pin Road Dog, but a gun comes off with the top rope. And, I mean, I've written here, misses Thrasher by a mile. Mm. Uh, but pins him off the back of it. Outlaws win. Crowd, boo. I, well... That's quite generous, I would say there. But considering how hot they were for Gunn taking off his top, when the Outlaws won off the back of that Bradshaw elimination, they're pretty silent. Yeah. Like, so, and that's the worst thing. You know, you want people to get hotter or more over as the match goes on. You made everyone less over <laughs> WWE. Um, Dave Meltzer in The Observer would say, Wyndham looked really bad. Dud. <laughs> Dud rating from Dave Meltzer. I just realised... Did we ever explain why we were introducing stuff in French at the start? Oh, yeah. Well, let's do that now. Because... But aside from the fact that this is in Montreal. <laughs> it's in Montreal, and all of the ring announcing, uh, when people come down the entrance ramp, is done in French. Quite lovely, really. Yeah, I like it. I really enjoyed it. And also, the entrance ramp isn't your normal WWE pay-per-view entrance ramp. It is the sort of... Just on the floor, there's yes, a it's, tunnel. It's floor. the flat one you'd get sort of yeah. like throughout 98 and 99. Before like, they started doing, let's do some big elaborate sets. Yeah. This is just, you walk, you have an entrance and you walk to the ring. Same as 98 uh, Survivor Series when we Yeah, absolutely. Um, right, let's get on to our second match. It's the Truth Commission versus the Disciple of Apocalypse, DOA. Uh, I, so I, I don't know about this match at all. So it took me a while to realise where I recognise certain people from. <laughs> yeah. I do not realise until well over halfway into this match when uh, a Truth Commission member, kind of the leader really, called the Jackal, had been eliminated but then had gone on to commentary and was doing commentary and the camera kept cutting to him in those double feature screens. It's Don Callis. Yeah, Don Callis was the Jackal. Yeah, I knew, <laughs> I know that. I don't know why it didn't click. Um... Yeah, so the Truth Commission were an act. They were originally led by the Commandant, I believe, was their original. They're a, they're a South African mm. group. You know, they're essentially a parody of the sort of South African military that was in the news at the time. Um, and then once the Commandants didn't really work out, which didn't take long, the Jackal took over and essentially just became... I don't know. He was just he was just the leader for them. But he never really did the South African accent or anything. No. He was just the Jackal. I don't mind it. I I quite like the idea that, you know, uh, the interrogator who's the big guy who really this whole match is built It was around. designed to get him over, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's, his name is Kurgan the Interrogator. Yes. And you've also got the Sniper. You've got the Jackal. And who's the other one? Recon. The Recon. I, I, I just... 
It's like they're a toy set. They do sound like G.I. Joe characters. Yeah. yeah, they totally sound like G.I. Joe characters. Interrogator, yeah, that's Kurgan, uh, who would become part of the Oddities in 1998. Mm. Uh, he's an actor now. He was in Pacific Rim and a few other things. Daniel Mallier, uh, mm. Canadian actor. Big dude. Name. 300. Sherlock Holmes, Pacific Rim, Hercules, and Deadpool 2. Hmm. So he's he's one of the go-to, I need a silent big guy yeah, actor. Totally. Uh, I, I recognised him most from Sherlock Holmes. He's the guy who has a fight in the shipyard with Robert Downey Jr. I just remember seeing him in Pacific Rim because I wanted to go see it with my friend John, who I just heard under his breath going, <laughs> it's Kurgan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a sign as well that says Undertaker is not a homo. I, I, <laughs> I don't know if there was a rumour at the time. <laughs> Um, oh my guy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, DOA uh, are a bunch of bikers. It's Crush, uh, Chains, Eight Ball, and uh, Meth, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. JR doesn't know who any of them are either. I don't know. Yeah, but well, JR keeps saying, well, I think they're identical twins. Yeah, he keeps going, it's Eight Ball or Skull. And in, all of my notes are Eight Ball and or Skull are doing moves. Yeah, it's, and it's really difficult. But from a, a historical perspective, to know who is who, yeah. if the people at the time don't know. You know, your primary sources exactly. don't know what's going on either. He doesn't know we're after the Truth Commissioner, right? He'll yeah. go like, there's Sniper. Oh, no, sorry, that's Recon. Yeah, he kept on mucking that up too. Might, yeah, so I might call people the wrong name a lot. I'm yeah. sorry if that But happens. forgive us, it's not really our fault. Um, yeah, they, so DOA is the Harris brothers, Ron, Don, and Brian, and Brian Adams, who's been in WWF for years at this point, very good friend of The Undertaker's. He would come back in during the invasion as well for a one-shot thing because The Undertaker wanted to give him another try, <laughs> him and Brian Lee. Um, so, Chain, uh, so Chains is Brian Harris. Yeah, he's one of the Harris brothers. I've got no idea. Uh, and Ron and Don uh, nearly bought Impact. Uh, yes, I was going to say, yeah. But then everyone realized that they have got Nazi symbols tattooed on them. And mm. some people didn't think that was a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, freedom of expression is encouraged. But that doesn't mean we have to like the freedom of expression. <laughs> anyway, the story of this. Chains can't knock interrogated down. He gets slammed and eliminated very quickly. Yeah, so... Kurgan's finisher is the sidewalk slam. As you alluded to earlier. Uh, Recon tags in, does some bad wrestling with either Skull and or 8-Ball. Um, Callus then tags in and hits a flying knee drop, but either Skull and or 8-Ball get up. Callus' chops do not work on Skull and or 8-Ball, who then eliminates him with a sidewalk slam. <laughs> it's a... Uh... Yeah, Jackal is by far the most visually interesting wrestler to do anything in this match. Oh yeah, and he doesn't do much, but he's you know he's got a charisma about him, and he can move around like a like an athlete should. But yeah, he's the the, the joke is he is too small, <laughs> and everyone knows sells his offense, and he gets eliminated. But in fairness, he is the manager. Yeah, like it was like yeah, if, if, Jim, if Jim Cornette had got in there, it would have been treated the exact same way. It's a good point, and he goes straight to the commentary booth and starts doing commentary. He's the best oh, thing about this match. He does such a good job of trying to get his team over yeah. and point out like how good the sniper is, how good Recon is, but more importantly, how good the interrogator mm. is. Um, Sniper's in next. JR still doesn't know if it's Skull and or Eight Ball. <laughs> um, <laughs> crowd are into DOA. Credit to them. Like it's, I'm, I am making fun of the team, but the crowd are hot for what they do, and they have been hot for the majority of 1997 as well. 
it's just not my not my thing. It's Eric Bischoff's thing. That's his <laughs> thing. It is. I bet he's looking at that from WCW. Uh, Motorbikes. Uh, Recon tries to flip over Skull or Eight Ball, but falls down. JR calls <laughs> it a back body drop. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can hear them calling spots as well. Um, they collide in the ring. Eight Ball or Skull falls out. Eight Ball or Skull pins Recon. They did twin magic before the Bellas made it yeah. cool. Um, DOA have the sniper pinned but the interrogator distracts the ref and sniper hits a bulldog and pins skull or eight ball crowd have gone quiet this is getting really bad now but thankfully like it's, as you said it's saved by jackal commentary JR at one, the live crowd can't hear that though JR just decides to start calling him eight ball because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to call him eight ball um, match <laughs> grinds to a halt when crush gets sniper into a head scissors for so <laughs> long like there's, there's nothing happening in this match. Crush gets in and is like, it's time for a rest hold. <laughs> Where do you think this ranks in the four on four matches on this card duration? It, I'm going to say it's the shortest one. It is. Yeah. Ten minutes. It's Whoa. A, yeah, it's a, it's the shortest by five minutes twenty six seconds. I wouldn't have said it was ten minutes. Yeah. It yeah, felt yeah. way longer know, than ten I know, minutes. I know. Um. And then interrogator tags in, it's a sidewalk slam, <laughs> and let's say he pins eight ball. Uh, Crush is the last man standing, uh, JR's confusing Sniper and Recon, big slam by Crush to pin Recon, sidewalk slam by Interrogate for the win, I've written here, effing awful. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it's very bad in-ring action, but I think the Interrogator and the Jackal have something yes and it's like i i almost want them to spin out of this and be just a a wrestler and his manager as cool as recon and sniper are (laughs) they're they're a bit super they're also not hyperlinked on wikipedia Mm. (laughs) dave Meltzer would say the idea of this match seemed to be uh, to put over the interrogator by destroying everyone similar to the successful booking at the royal rumble a few years ago that put diesel into the upper echelon this was nowhere near as effective. <laughs> a worst match of the year candidate. Whoa. Minus star and a half. Holy oh. moly. I didn't know Big Daddy Dave was going to go that hard. I think me and Dave have a lot of similar opinions on this. What happened is you were so visibly <laughs> un- upset watching the first hour of this show. I think I my, my expectations might have been shifted. Oh, yeah, because I did say to you, this first half hour yeah, been, it's, yeah. been, it's been rough going <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean it's bad don't yeah. get me wrong but I, you know like when you know it's bad you kind of your mind weirdly looks for positives so totally. I was just enjoying callous on commentary which is always a good yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a great way to approach this mm. as well tonight Hitman is going to lose the title tonight even though I don't want him to lose it Michael's going to be the three time champ the main event Shawn Michaels man big guy yeah. because he's the best of is, the best of us and the best of ever will be C'est le meilleur de la gang. Il n'y a pas d'autre meilleur que lui, c'est vrai. C'est notre Canadien, nous autres. C'est notre Canadien. Shawn Michaels va gagner contre Bret Hart parce que Shawn Michaels est le titre génération X et numéro 1. We traveled 12 hours just to see him win and kick Bret's butt. Bret va gagner, c'est ça, il est au Canada. Il ne peut pas perdre. C'est ça, il va gagner. It's the excellence of execution and Shawn Michaels could go back to the USA where, because we don't like him. We will follow Bret Hart all the way. Shawn Michaels is going down in Montreal tonight. That's it! That's it! That's it! Certainly a variety of opinions, and you're looking at a live shot of downtown, beautiful Montreal. 
And certainly what a clean, wonderful city. Had some uh, smoked meat last night at Schwartz King. Well, you did? Good. I'm, I'm just looking at my calendar. I don't know if my calendar may be wrong. Is today Halloween? Did you see the faces on these people here in Canada? Uh, they cut outside to ask fans. <laughs> a star and a half. <laughs> oh. 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 Uh, <laughs> Uh, we cut to a uh, pre-edited video package where they're asking fans who's going to win between Michaels and Bret Hart. Now, bear in mind, they're in Canada, so you'd think everyone's going to say Bret Hart. But no, a lot of people pick Shawn Michaels because he's the best. And also because a lot of Americans travelled to the show. Yes. They, they, you know, you can, the accents, and they, start, they usually uh, followed up their pick with USA, USA, <laughs> as the Americans are wont to, to chant. Mm -hmm. Just to remind themselves. Very proud country. <laughs> um, but the thing that I marked out most for this... I think we're going to say the same thing. <laughs> I'll let you tell the story then. Well, we, uh, back in the old studio, God, this was two and a bit years ago. Yeah, uh, probably more than that. Yeah, maybe. We had one of our Macs that's still somehow with us and functioning, despite dying two deaths. It had to, complete, it had to be completely <laughs> reformatted that second time. Um, but the... But for whatever reason, <laughs> you know what it was? It was because I once, this is a, I don't think we've ever told this story on a podcast before. I once did a test edit for what culture. Yes, that's right. To edit one of their lists. And I was in the room. Do you remember mm. this? Because I was working for a different company, but I got locked out of the office or the office had moved or something. So I had to, I, mm. I was like, I'm halfway to yours already. Do you mind if I just come yeah. and work in your office? And I can't really, it wasn't, it was just, we were just doing it to see if there was something that, because, you know, they, we were a young company at the time. We were just like, oh, we need money. <laughs> yeah. So we, you know, thought maybe we could start editing those videos as well as ours. Uh, and it was, those list videos are so labor intensive. I don't think people realize mm. to find that many images, animate them. It's, it's grueling work. I did not enjoy it. Yeah. takes a, takes a long time to do. Anyway, it was a, it was Simon Miller uh, list well, video. Nine nine for you. Yeah, <laughs> and he was I can't even but it was Survivor Series. It theme. was worst Survivor Series teams. I think I yeah. re I remember that because he talks about Bob Sparky Plug Holly and yeah. then ends off with one of him. That's nineteen ninety nine for you. Well, that's it, and I, I would keep doing that voice. <laughs> Not bit, Simon Miller's a lovely, lovely guy. Such a nice guy. Uh, I've never met him in person, but I've spoken on the phone with him. And but you know when you like you're locked in a room and you just hear this same thing <laughs> over and over again. If anyone's ever done any editing, and yeah, it was just like, well, that's ninety nine and nine for you. <laughs> and and he'd do this a little laugh that drove me mad. <laughs> and I would just do, I did it for about a month. Yeah. Like if if there was a period of silence, I'd just go. <laughs> Well, that's not even for you. It became uh, a running joke in the office yeah, for ages. It was. And it, it sort of uh, it faded out after a while. Anyway, there was another guy who was sort of helping us out with stuff in the office. And I asked him, oh, my God, can you help me out with some of these images? If you do this entry, I'll do number four. You do number three. And he, we came back and he had got the images, but he'd put, it was from Survivor Series 97, and he put this picture of a fan. Yes. From this segment. Yeah, it's the French one who picks Bret Hart. Yeah, with a huge moustache, the yeah. old 80s bifocal glasses. Yeah. He looks like he is just an awesome fan. 
but if very you, much of a... And if you didn't know, you'd have looked at it and said, like, oh, you took a still from Survivor Series 1987. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Rather than 1997. But he, he throws it at this moment where he's, you know, it's the most unflattering <laughs> yes. bit where his mouth's half open, his lips curled, his nose is scrunched up. And that was that, that, was that main computer's desktop background. Until it got formatted. For years. Until it got formatted yeah. this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was and I that. forgot about it. And it, here he pops up. <laughs> <laughs> I got such a pang of nostalgia yeah, yeah. Uh, to see him. Oh, and he's got a moustache. Didn't say he's got this, like, yeah. pencily, scruffy moustache as well. Oh, God. Very oh, good. Spark joy. It did spark joy. You know what else sparks joy? What's that, mate? Kevin Kelly! I know, Kevin. Oh, my man. Boy, the perfect accompaniment to the Survivor Series. Folks, thanks for joining us on AOL. Folks are tuning in from all over the globe, from the UK, from Canada, from France, from England, from Germany, everywhere. And of course, in America as well. Keyword superstars is how you do it. And look, Stone Cold Steve Austin is here right now. And Stone Cold, I know everybody's talking to you, asking questions online about your match. Stupid questions. How's my neck? Am I concerned about the neck? You're damn right I am. But you got to go out there and see it's either sink or swim. Steve Austin doesn't sink, so you're damn right I'm worried about it, but that's the bottom line. you got to live with these things and go on, and Steve Austin is going on. I don't need nobody feeling sorry for me because this is just something that happens. All right, well, Stone Cold is talking to the fans online right now. Join us, fans, on America Online. It's Keyword Superstars, and for you fans tuning in around the globe, click on International, then on Sports. Then once you're there, it's Keyword Superstars for exclusive backstage coverage and interviews with America Online. Kevin Kelly's in the AOL online room. Stone Cold is there as well, yelling at some intern. Rad type what I'm saying. Because this guy's responding to fans in the AOL online chat room about Steve Austin's injury. Kevin Kelly's like, people are asking about your neck. I know they're asking about my neck. Type my <laughs> neck, fan. I, so, so I didn't use the internet around this time. I need gone online like 2000 maybe wow I don't know. all right we granddad we didn't have okay schools or and i didn't get a computer until year eight at home so yeah it would have been like 2000 2001 before we got a computer yeah. uh, and even then that that having a computer doesn't mean you're online no it does not <laughs> uh, back then. it just means you got in carter so so why why would so kevin kelly says if anyone wants to ask austin questions go to america online and keyword superstars. Yes, you have to find where the chat room is because there's not like a direct link mm. to the chat room. You get just AOL online is the place, and then you find use the keyword to find the area you need to go to. That's my understanding of how it worked. So go to Reddit and type in this subreddit name. Yeah, and then you're in a chat room where you can ask questions, right. and then an intern will respond via Steve Austin yelling at him. Yeah, yeah. He, why did he have two computers? <laughs> uh, but th then he says, if you're international, go to America Online, click sports, yeah. then keyword superstars. <laughs> yes. I said, what's going on here? My, uh, my friend actually was on AOL mm. years later. And I always thought, because... When we were on BT, I'm going to assume we are on BT because my, my parents have always been BT customers. So we'd have just been on BT Internet. Um, so, but all the internet I'd ever seen in pop culture was AOL. That was like the big thing. You got mail, you know, all that sort of stuff. So when he got AOL, I was like, oh, you're in America. <laughs> <laughs> or as I was like, no, British Telecom. Yeah. 
It's weird how a you know AOL was synonymous with internet, and now that's Google. Yes, and AOL doesn't really exist. Well, yeah. it does, but you know. Hey, do you remember Ask Jeeves? Yeah, uh, that always was good... used to ask him yeah. silly things. So that's it, because it wasn't a case of you would type in a search word. You had to ask Jeeves a question, yeah. and then Jeeves would return an answer for you. Um, the What was I going to say? I've forgotten. I, I was going to say, I enjoyed after, just before we get to that Kevin Kelly thing coming out of that video package, King said, huh, must still be Halloween here in uh, Canada, given a few of their faces. <laughs> Uh, JR and King plug karate fighters and they show highlights of a party that there was held before the show, which seemed like a, a, a lovely a good time. Yeah. yeah, lovely good time. Uh, and then they show a clip from last Monday where Team Canada attacked Vader and a fan named Steve Blackman got in the ring to defend Big Van Vader. This blew my marky little mind. <laughs> what? I... I don't... I never knew this. Well, the Steve Blackman was a, quote, fan. Yeah. I've actually think I've only just started to put two and two together that he does karate because of karate fighters, and that's why he's got the martial arts gimmick. Have uh, I made no, that? He's, a, he's a just, legit. I know black he's a, I know he's a legit black belt, but do you not think that because they're doing they've been plugging karate fighters as well for months that they've also brought in this guy that does karate oh God, you think? as almost like a hey look how cool this guy is. Also by Karate Fighters by Milton Bradley. Uh, what? But I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. Um, I'm just on his uh, page here. Early career. He began competitive bodybuilding and weightlifting before entering professional wrestling in 86. Wow, so, 86? Yeah, Bloody hell. And he actually debuted for WWF in 88 at a house show just as a, a local, local wrestler. But then he... No. Yeah, he would appear sporadically uh, until '89, where he con- he contracted malaria, Crikey. and he was bedridden for two years. Wow! Wow! What a story. Um, lost much much of his muscle mass. He spent four years in physical therapy to recover from his condition, and started to learn martial arts, specifically escrima. Never heard of that. And taekwondo. And then once he was back in working shape, he rang Brian Pillman and Owen Hart for a tryout. Well, there you go. And so then, you, yeah, it's, then, then it's skip, skip to here. That's, yeah. It's literally that. This is the debut of Steve Blackman. Essentially, well, after Steve Blackman jumped in the ring as a, quote, fan to help Vader, Vader bailed him out of jail and then asked Sergeant Slaughter, or Commissioner Slaughter, to put Blackman on Team USA in the Team USA versus Team Canada match that's taking place at Survivor Series. That is a freaking awesome angle. Love it. The idea that Vader would bail out this guy. And like the, the recap package, uh, like Vader's being beaten down by Team Canada. Blackman jumps in, kicks ass. But then they start beating up Blackman as well. Vader starts to cover Blackman with yeah. his body. And you know, to see that Vader, who, you know, is this bruiser of a guy showing that kind of affection or brotherhood, and then bailing them, bailing them out with his own personal money. That is an awesome, awesome story. It's such a shame that it was absorbed by this nonsense Team Canada. Not that the Team Canada idea is bad, but this match here, which was saddled with so many other issues, that should be the start of Vader and Blackman becoming this tag team. Completely. Absolutely. Which actually would have given Vader something to do. Yeah. Because he'd been... He came back to the company, well, he came into the company in, what, 95, 96. Shawn Michaels completely cut the legs out from underneath him, and then he never recovered. Mm. He should have been WWF champion at one point. Never happening. One of the best, 
best big man workers of all time. Absolutely. Vader, the team you've assembled here really doesn't even seem to have a common threat. Vader has assembled Team America. Let me take a minute to introduce them. The man they call Goldust, Mark Merrill, and Steve Blackman, the newcomer in town. Now, Team America and Vader, we don't have very much in common, except we don't like big mouth Canadians, trash talking Americans, telling us how to think, telling us what to do, telling us how to act. So tonight, yeah, it's time. It's time to get bad. It's time to get back. And oh yeah, Team Canada, they're tough when it's four on one. But tonight, look around you, Team Canada. It's four against four. So it's just not Vader time tonight. No, it's America's time. Mr. Blackman, six days ago on Raw, you needed a ticket to get into the arena in Hershey. Tonight, you remember a Team USA. You must be nervous. Well, I may not be experienced in WWF wrestling, but I'm certainly experienced in every other form of fighting known to man. And, you know, to me, a fight's a fight, so I'm ready. Gentlemen, that's Team USA. Uh, Michael Cole is backstage with Team USA. <laughs> um, Vader says that they don't have a common thread. Um, no, look at them. <laughs> it's Vader Goldust, yep. Mark Marrow with Sable, and Steve Blackman. Oh, this is a ragtag group of unlikely friends, mm. and they are not friends as well. Cameras all over the place in this as well. It doesn't know who to focus on, even though it's actually very standard on who's cutting the promos. Well, what happened is Goldust has uh, words painted within his face paint. He's got F and U on either cheek. Freedom. And he's got freedom something on the yeah. back of his head. And he's walking around backstage, like behind them, and he turns around to show the back of his head. And the camera tries to move into it. But there's people in the way. <laughs> so you don't get... It's not a good framing yet. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a mess. Yeah. Uh, Vader says that it's not just Vader time. It's Team USA time. And then Blackman cuts mm. a bit of a bland promo about being a good fighter. And that brings us into Team USA Gold... Uh, sorry, I've, I've written here Goldberg. Uh, Team USA <laughs> of Gold Dust, Mark Merrow, Steve Blackman and Vader taking on Team Canada of Doug Furness, Phil LaFon, the British Bulldog and Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Of those people, only one of them is Canadian. Mm. And it's not even Nighthunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they mentioned that in the on commentary. Yeah. Um, Team USA comes out to Kurt Angle's music. Well, I thought he was going to come out here. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, or the what, Patriots music. What a, what a great thing. It's so good because they, Vince clearly thinks that's the most patriotic music ever. Mm. It was the Patriots theme. And now it's Team USA's theme. And then two years later, at Survivor Series, yeah. would be Kurt Angle's yeah. theme. Um, yeah, it's, but it's still, I find it so weird to hear that music and not see Kurt. I, I it, mean, sounds like want... it's, it sounds like it's piped in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like it's been edited after yeah, the fact. We, we couldn't get the rights to the actual yeah. song we used. It was probably like Born in the USA, so we've <laughs> had to put this music over instead. So yeah, Goldust has got <laughs> F.U. on his cheeks, which stands for Forever Unchained, because the other storyline going into this is that Goldust is, is leaving Marlena, his wife, and he's not paying alimony payments and he's not seeing his kids and he's being a bit of a, a bit of a rotter because JR is not happy with Goldust in this match. I think it's a good soap opera style storyline. And, yeah. and, and JR does such a great job of framing him as a heel. And to Goldust's credit, he, he 
he betrays that character. I well. loved him in this yeah. match, really did. That's right, JR, we're with Team Canada. British Bulldog, Team USA seems extremely confident, but they're on foreign territory tonight. That's right, you're in the Canadian domain, USA. Tonight, you will leave the ring, losers, and Canada will be victorious. Doug Furnan. That's right, oh glory, what's there to glorify? I'll tell you what the American fans of WWF are about. They're about drug crimes, slime, and now they have their new degenerates. Well, I used to be proud to be an American, but tonight, I declare my independence. They say America, love it or leave it, I left. Team Canada, gentlemen, back to ringside. But before we get to that, Michael Cole also interviews Team Canada, which is kicked off by the British Bulldog's thick mank accent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to represent Team Canada. He declared independence he with not a trace of irony <laughs> in his British accent. <laughs> and then they go to Doug Furness, who is American. <laughs> um, you know, but in oh, fairness, God. big pop for Team Canada coming out. Oh, huge pop. Yeah. Well, add to the Heart Foundation music, hit Brett's music. Uh, King says, and I love this, King was like, I should have been on this team. Because mm. <laughs> in fact, King at this point as well, King doesn't want to be doing commentary. King wants to be wrestling. And so I, I think it's a lot of times like this where King will just keep saying, I should have been part of this team. Yeah. I should be in there wrestling right now. I don't want to be sat behind a commentary desk. There's um, an argument for, for that to be the case. Totally. Uh, Mary throws his USA bandana at the Bulldog, who uh, drops it and then wipes his big old ass on it. Yeah. Big pop for the Bulldog. And then he challenges Blackman with some karate poses from the apron. Uh, and then Vader gets in. Vader worked the majority of this match. Oh, he was working yeah. this match, man. And, God, when, when I know Vader and Bulldog, they, they are... Like, this is the end of their era in WWF, really. You know, the Attitude mm -hmm. Era. Was, although both characters would have been successful in the Attitude Era, I think. It's just, but now it's time for a turnover of talent. Yeah, totally. So it was, it was very an interesting visual to see Vader go up against Bulldog here. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Bulldog suplexes Vader like it's nothing right away to a huge pop. Yeah. And you know, like, everyone's like, ah, well, the, no one knows how to work like the old guys. Who's, like, more, like, revered... Well, there's plenty, but there's, Vader and Bulldog were very revered for that old wrestling style. And here there's a, a, an amazing strength spot that they just bust out like a high spot. <laughs> yeah. A second into their confrontation. Totally. We watched Keith Lee and Tomohiro Ishii work that suplex for half an hour. Yeah. In a match at Rev Pro. But they don't know how to work. Exactly. It's ridiculous. Totally. Um, Mero gets pinned very early on. Um, <laughs> like yeah, when JR's kind of like recapping the history of the Hart Foundation and he just points out that Jim the Anvil Nightheart is American he said he married Ellie Hart and King quick as a whip goes who? it's <laughs> 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 really really made me laugh um, Steve Blackman tags in JR said now remember folks he's not a trained professional wrestler he's a martial artist mm. the first thing that Blackman does is a running elbow drop he just yeah. starts doing wrestling moves well, unfortunately, as, as great as that angle was to introduce him with Vader, this is not the place to do it because it's, a you know, how, how are you going to get him over as a baby face? Because Team USA is not winning this match. No. So he gets in there, this guy that no one knows, and even if they do know him, he's for the other country's team. And he comes out to crickets. Yeah. Totally. No one's into him. They start chanting for Sable. 
Well, Sable is the most over person who's not on Team Canada in yeah. this match. And in fact, you could argue <clears throat> she's more over than Furnace and Lafon are. I've got to say, I... Th- I I thought Lafron and Furnace were very good, though. They're really good yeah, workers. Yeah. Really, really strong workers. Uh, but then Blackman is, starts to brawl outside, and then he's ejected. He gets counted he out. He gets counted out, Because yeah. he doesn't know the rules. Oh, he's not a trained right. wrestler. Such a lame follow-up to a fantastic idea to debut in with Vader. Uh, Vader and Nightheart uh, bump and bounce off each other. Vader pins Nightheart. <laughs> um LaFon does super kicks but doesn't slap his thigh. Ugh, he'll never get over. <laughs> um, but yeah, Vader does a lot of work here. He pins LaFon. Uh, so Team Canada is now down by a man. Goldust has yet to tag in at this point, which they really highlight. That yes. Goldust is not interested in this match whatsoever. Um, Marvelosity by Mero, and he lands on Furnace's neck and shoulders. It looked rough as anything. Um, and actually, like, Furnace, when he's going to tag out, looks like he's holding the back of his head, being like, Jesus, mm. that hurts. Crowd picks up when the Bulldog gets in. Running power slam is reversed. Um, Mero is more, co- I've written here, Mero is more convincing in his boxing gimmick than Blackman is in his martial arts gimmick. Yeah, yeah, Mero's pretty good like this. The moonsault notwithstanding. Yes. Uh, Furnace stacks Mero and eliminates him. Um, and this is now, as so we're now down to uh, Goldust and Vader as the only members of Team USA left. But it's two on two, right? It's, I believe it's two on two. But this is where they really start pushing the, the idea that Goldust is, has left Marlena, but babyface Jim Ross said that he's done it for all the wrong reasons. Whereas King, who does say that he's got a lot of experience in divorce, says mm-hmm. that he's doing it for all the right reasons. He's got rid of his nagging wife. He's, he's a free man now. Can I, uh, so Goldust also has a cast on his hand. He's supposedly got a broken hand. He had, And it says freedom on the cast. Now, JR is complaining that Goldust has blamed all his problems on his wife and his daddy. And King says he punched the wall like a gentleman rather than her face. (laughs) Oh, I missed that line. Oh. 1997, folks. <laughs> wow. Wow, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, really, weirdly in this match, Team Canada all of a sudden start playing their heels. Oh, they're cheating all over the place. In Canada. How did, how did this get booked? Bulldog just starts low-blowing Vader. Uh, and it's like... So... This really should just be booked. Team Canada are the super baby faces. They go over after Team USA has a few heelish things. But that's not what happens. WWE do everything they can to protect Team USA. There are you've got you've got Blackman who doesn't know how to wrestle in this kayfabe world, so he just walks out. And you've got Goldust who won't tag in. So Vader's doing all the legwork. You've got two self implosion storylines running within one team. Team Canada, who are behaving as one coherent unit, still need to cheat to beat this other one. Yeah. It's just, it's nonsense. It's baffling is what it is. Uh, Vader slaps Goldust, and they count that as a tag. So Goldust just bails and gets counted out. So that's two count outs uh, for Team USA, if yeah. you're keeping track. Team Canada have only managed to pin one person. Um, and JR said, he's walking out on his team, just like he walked out on his family. <laughs> Um, 
Vader bomb to Furnace, and he's out. Bulldog uses the bell on Vader, and they pin him. A total mess by the end. Yeah, and and the, the Team Canada win, sure, but the crowd pop, but only because Team Canada won. There was no real emotion behind that win, like you, like the story should have been. And they did this match to perfection just a couple of months earlier when they at Canadian Stampede, mm. when they did do the Hart Foundation versus the random American lads. And it got over like gangbusters. And it's one of the best wrestling matches that WWF have ever done. It's a, it is perfect wrestling. And then yet here, they just got it completely wrong. I've never seen that entire card, you know, for, for the Stampede show. And people do say that is, alongside Money in the Bank 2011, the best top to bottom WWF card ever. Yeah. So good. It's very short as well, which certainly helps. Uh, Dave Meltzer would say Vader, who had to totally carry the match uh, for his team since Goldust is injured, was really huffing and puffing by this point, but did a good job. Goldust, working the match with a broken hand in three places, obviously couldn't work, and they built a storyline around it. Even though Team Canada beat Team USA in front of 20,000 fans in Montreal, the pop wasn't what you'd think. Still gave it two and a half stars, though. Huh. Well, I didn't... Yeah, I... I... Considering what he gave other stuff, I thought it would be a bit lower. I thought it would be lower as well, because I thought it was because I thought the match was psychologically backwards. Yeah. Hey, look! The Karate Fighters airship! You know who's the captain of that, don't you? Who's that, King? Max Mini. Hey, Max, where are you? There he is! Look, right there in the little cockpit. Well, certainly, uh, Milton Bradley Karate Fighters has uh, done a great job in uh, helping us sponsor the Survivor Series. And uh, we want to thank uh, all the folks at Milton Bradley for... Uh, all the great work as they always do with the World Wrestling Federation. Look at that crowd. What a magnificent facility. And in just a few moments, we're going to be having the uh, matchup with Mankind and Kane. But in any event, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, Milton Bradley Karate Fighters sponsored the Survivor Series. Bear with me now. The Super I can say Supper it. I can say it. The su- the, what? Go ahead. Super, the Super Supper sup, Super Supper Sweepstakes. There you go. That's close enough. And uh, we... Uh, of course, the contest, he sent in a postcard, and we do. Uh, uh, we think we have our winner maybe on the line. As a matter of fact, the winner and 10 of uh, their friends will get to have dinner with the WWF superstar of their choice. And I'd like to see if we have Jacqueline Cook on the telephone. Jacqueline, are you there? Yes, I am. Jacqueline, you're in Columbia, South Carolina. Congratulations, Jacqueline. You are the winner of the Survivor Series Super Supper Sweepstakes. <laughs> she sounds a little excited. Absolutely. Where, where are we going to go to eat, Jacqueline? Huh? Where are we going to go to eat? <laughs> Jacqueline, I want to know, are you watching the Survivor Series? Yes, I am. Are you? there in Columbia, South Carolina. And what WWF superstar are you going to uh, invite for your uh, your super supper? Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to be your guest. Well, that's interesting. Stone Cold Steve Austin? What about me? Uh, I got good table manners. Ja- Jacqueline, uh, yeah. Jacqueline will be calling you back later tonight. So, uh Stay with us and enjoy the Survivor Series on pay-per-view, and uh, we'll be calling you back momentarily. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Jacqueline. Congratulations, Mary. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. We go from uh, something kind of nice to something very deadly. Uh, commentators put over karate fighters again and then cannot get the name of this contest right. Super Supper Sweepstakes. There you are. Look at you, you professional. The Super Supper Sweepstakes. They speak to Jacqueline Cook, who won the contest, and now she and 10 of her friends get to have dinner with a WWF star of their choice. And This is all over the phone, by the way. <laughs> it's JR and King 
on their in their commentary table. Yeah, the cameras on them, and they're talking over the phone to Jacqueline Cook. And brilliantly, King says. So when are we going to dinner? Oh, <laughs> so funny! So good. He's even got like the napkin to like put into his uh, into his king's outfit. That was a piece of paper that he was using for his notes. Yeah. Oh, got, what yeah. a great like bit of comedic instinct for it's him to do that. So good. Yeah. It's honors of bib. But no, Jacqueline picks Steve Austin, and King's like, "Huh? Why aren't you picking me?" What a weird. So Jacqueline Cook and presumably her ten. Thirsty female friends are going to get to go to dinner with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Thanks to Karate Fighters. My neck is fine. Could you pass the salt, please? What? What? Like, if I won that competition, I'd immediately be anxious for how that was going to go. <laughs> I know. Just like I'd say something stupid. Steve doesn't want to be there. Oh, I can't. What a, what a social anxious situation. I've always thought this because this is not the first or last time the WWF would do. You get to have dinner with a wrestler of your choice. I've always thought I would love to be a fly on the wall <laughs> yeah. for those situations. Like Steve Austin, I don't, don't interview The Undertaker. Tell me the story of this dinner. That's what I want to hear about. I want to bring Jacqueline Cook out. <laughs> Or we've got someone from your past. <laughs> that, that's the interview I want to hear, yeah. is Steve Austin interviewing Jacqueline Cook about the dinner that they had. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, credit to them, though. They learned from mistakes. So at SummerSlam, they had done a like a million dollar giveaway thing. Mm. And they had like someone, they had like a kid out on the stage. I think they had a couple of people out on the stage, if I remember this correctly. It's been a while since I've seen SummerSlam. And... Todd Pettengale is also calling people to take part in this competition. Essentially, there's like 50-odd keys, and you have to pick a key at random, and that will open up their thing to reveal if you've got the million dollars or not. So you've got a 1 in 50 chance of winning. So he's also calling people. But none of them have been pre-dialed. So Todd is doing it on a rotary phone. And he would get the number wrong, oh, and he would have to start again. So he would ring through. No one would answer. Was this in like an intermission bit where everyone was having a break? It's on the pay-per-view. Like oh. if you go on the network, it's there to watch in all of its glory. <laughs> and it just brings back all those memories of the million-dollar giveaway that Vince did yeah. in like 2011 when they were just desperate for ratings because it was like 20, 2009, wasn't it? The, the show was tanking in the ratings even though it's doing much higher than it is oh, like now. Double the amount, double the amount they're doing now. now. So Vince was like, I'm going to give away a million dollars every week. But they never pre-screened the calls. So it's just Vince, who has got really bad eyesight, trying to dial numbers on his own. The interviews with Stephanie and Triple H about this are so funny because Stephanie's like, he doesn't dial his own phone at home or in the office because he's got secretaries to do it. So he's really struggling to dial numbers. And then at one, do you remember he got Rick rolled? Like that's the fun. <laughs> gotta Google this. <laughs> Vince McMahon, Rick. What, so someone foregoed uh, getting a million dollars for, for the, the trolling. Wrong number. So he just said Already? wrong number. Try this again. Do you remember the password, JR? So this is $200,000 sure. he's given away. Password is Oh my god. How did someone sit at home? Someone here in the arena with a cell phone? This was on live TV. Live TV every single week. I have a cell phone. 
Well, I've got, I know the image well because we use. It's a voicemail. And Rick Astley is now playing on the answer phone. Yes, that's not my fault. Caller ID. Hello, we must be. Again, we're building the suspense. Oh my god. It's so good. Oh my god. That is awful. Someone said, I was in the arena when this went down. Hilariously awkward. Vince is the only one who doesn't get it. <laughs> oh. oh, man. I mean, set the top comment is, shame nobody tried changing their callback tone to the Benoit thing. That <laughs> <laughs> would have been very fresh at that yeah. 2009. Okay, we got a bit sidetracked there. We did. Uh, but anyway, up next, we've got, oh. a, we've got a video package here to detail this one because... It's the debut match of That's Gotta Be Kane! Anyhow, 
What's it gonna take? He's a monster! So the video recaps the story. Lots of, he's alive, Undertaker! Your brother is alive! I thought this was an excellent video package. It's so good. Like, um, the, when you watch back old movie trailers or stuff like that from, from the 90s or noughties, you know, that they're... they're the art's moved, the cutting pace and everything's moved on so much from those days. This one stat could stand side by side with current WWE video packages. Excellent storytelling. I will not fight my own brother. Mm. I will not fight my own flesh and blood. And Kane was just such an amazing character. It was interesting to hear in Meltzer's comments at the start that you read mm. that... Uh, you know, it was. It sounds almost dismissive. Well, that monster thing's getting over. Apparently, that's like, getting over. Yeah, it's freaking cool. Yeah, it's really, really cool. This makes it look so badass. You got clips of clips of Kane just being so destructive. Dude Love was attacking him with unprotected chair shots, but he just choke slammed Dude Love on this steel ramp. Very interesting period of time for mankind because this the three faces of Foley thing has always usually been he is one or the other. At this point in time, he was both. He would sometimes be Dude Love, but then the following week he would be Mankind and would be a completely different character. But he was the same person, but they would reference that he's the same person. Such a, such an, it works though. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. They, they pushed it too far in 1998 when all three faces of Foley were in the Royal Rumble, but, you know, maybe we'll do that at some point down the line. Um, Mankind cuts a promo about how he chokeslammed an innocent kid in reference to Dude Love. Like, yeah. What a wicked line that is. Like, he's even, you choke slammed him, but he's going, like, about it's someone else. Yeah. So cool. Now, this is, this is really, really uh, relevant to the current wrestling era because Kane, this monster semi supernatural gimmick, debuted. This was his first match on pay-per-view. Did, did he have a match on TV or was it just, uh, this, uh, he was just beating people up? Just beating people up. It's all with the red light, folks. Yeah. Give me the red light. It's incredible to watch this match now because the actual match itself then is wrestled without lights to put over that Kane wrestles in the bowels of hell. Mm. And it's remarkable to watch it with 2019 eyes and what they're doing with The Fiend. And when I, I referenced Luke Harper earlier in the show of just like, oh, they wanted them to be the Godwins. And it's just like, oh, yeah, Vince has only got a small book of ideas that he just recycles and be like, let's do that again. But probably forgot that they actually did it once before. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, down to the nose selling, which, I, which is a, a great monster trait. That, that's not so much of a copy yeah. and paste thing. But there's so many similarities between Kane and The Fiend. I just, weirdly, I never connected the dots. No, yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting. Um, I like, there's a moment when Mankind is beating up Paul Bearer in this video package, and he hits Kane in the head with this uh, bit of metal, and the bit of metal bends around his head, because Kane's such a monster mm. that not even the steel pipe can slow him down. Yeah. It's so cool. And, and Kane's story, really guided by Bearer here, is that, you know, he wants to get to the big boss of The Undertaker. Undertaker's, I will not fight my brother. So Kane's going to destroy everyone on the roster to get to him. Great story. Keeps them apart. Builds it up. And this builds, this builds to WrestleMania. Mm. And, As like, it should do. And this storyline started early 1997 of Paul Bearer doing the, Your brother is alive! I've got the proof! 
and they just built it and dragged it up until Bad Blood, which we've done in this podcast. You can find that in the archives. And then you built the match through to WrestleMania the following year. It's almost like a year-long worth of build. It's how they used to do it. It's how they used to do it. And it just makes that match even more epic, even though it's actually quite pants. Yeah, it's, uh, unfortunately, the payoffs to those kind of monster versus monster things aren't, aren't really ever going to work. No. Apart from Brock Lesnar Goldberg, well, which obviously. worked actually amazing. Indeed, he is a monster. Mankind, uh, do you have any last words? I don't want this to be remembered as a wrestling match because it won't be. It's mankind against a brick wall. Now, how do you face a brick wall? Common sense would say you walk around or you climb over, but that's not my way. I'm gonna get a head start, Jimmy, and I'm gonna launch myself into that brick wall. And when it does not fall, I'll get up and do it over and over again. And like Paul Burr said, I may die trying but I may not. So Uncle Paul, if that wall goes down, well, it's just you and me. The man you referred to after giving a year of my life, you referred to me as a pebble. You gave my soul and you called me a pebble. So when I sink these two fingers deep inside your trembling flabby jowls, and your eyes begin to pop out of your evil little mind, I'm going to ask you one simple question. Do I look like a pebble now? Do I? Do I? Have a nice day. Mankind cuts a promo before the match. Uh, he says that he, this won't be remembered as a wrestling match because it won't be. It's Mankind versus a brick wall. And I may die trying, but I'm going to get over that brick wall. And he started referencing how Bearer once called him a pebble. Yeah. And he starts screaming at the the camera, mankind isn't a pebble. You know how he's, <laughs> yeah. his voice goes high. Do I look like a pebble now? That's so I, good. He's such a good promo. It's incredible stuff. But like such a good promo, but unlike anyone there's ever been. Yeah. You know, like CM Punk's a great promo, but his cadence, the way he talks, isn't dissimilar to other people. Mankind McFoley is totally unique. He's completely unique. And and that that combo of the video package and Mankind cutting a promo from Gorilla, uh, which looks very different back <laughs> in the day, it's just a space behind a curtain. Yep. There's no generic WWE backdrop wall that we've had for the last two nope. years. There's just a little prop-up table with Bruce Pritchard and a little crappy monitor. Yeah. A little crappy CRT monitor. <laughs> for the mise-en-scene. Uh, but with those two... Really, really got me excited about this match. And then, because they've done such a good job of building this up, when Kane's music hits and he comes out, it is a enormous pop mm. for him. This crowd are so amped to finally see, finally see Kane step into the ring. And it did remind me of The Fiend at SummerSlam, yeah. of like yeah. all that anticipation of The Fiend's debut match. Totally. And I got that same feeling for this. I thought this was masterfully done and I loved this match yeah yeah there's there's not much really to talk about it's just Kane being a monster for five minutes and working over Foley Foley makes a brief comeback for about two uh, goes for Bearer yep. rather than Kane because really Mankind's issue is with Paul Bearer and he's like he said my intent like in the, the promo I'm going to put the mandible claw on Paul Bearer 
which is a really nice way to protect him because Mankind goes for Bearer, does get the Mandible Claw on him, he sort of reaches over the ropes, and that allows Kane to tombstone power drive him for the win. Yeah. So it's, it's Mankind getting distracted that lost in the match, not because he isn't good enough, but Kane still looks great. And Mankind takes a beating in this match to put Kane over. He gets thrown pillar and post, slams on the ramps, slams into the apron. He at one point gets pushed off the apron through a table and Mick throws himself mm. backwards to crash through the announcer's table. <laughs> Completely wipes out Tito Santana in the <laughs> Spanish commentary position. There's unprotected chair shots throughout this. So this was a no DQ match. Or did they just not care? I don't think they cared. The Attitude Era, mate. What are you, what are you it, about? it just says a singles match on Wikipedia, and they never mentioned it. But yeah, there's there's a, a chair shot in front of the referee. But the real key to this, and they kept putting it over on commentary, is that he's just like The Undertaker. It's like, oh my God, he's another Undertaker. Mm. He does everything the same. It's like he moves like his brother. He wrestles like his brother. He strikes like his brother. It's The Undertaker, but again... And it's really, really effective because when you start saying that, it makes you think like, well, I want to see that brother versus brother match now. I want to see what happens when these two similar styles collide. Hopefully it'll be as good as when Matt and Jeff Hardy did it at WrestleMania. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's truly, this is sports entertainment. This, This is Vince McMahon's vision of sports entertainment when it works really, really well. You, you would never get this in New Japan. No. New Japan can never do this better than WWE. Dave Meltzer would say they turned off the house lights for this match, so Kane's gimmick is that he's wrestling in the dark, trying to get across the idea that it's the bowels of hell. Three stars. So the, the, red, the red lighting was an issue. I did, weirdly, I didn't mind it as much as I did The Fiend. Um, Maybe which, if it's just once, though. I think it's when you suddenly realize, oh, it's going to be for every match now. And also, but it wasn't for The Fiend's first match. Well, yeah, actually, that's a in, very good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't like it with The Fiend because I want to see him. Yes. And I can't really see him. Here, I could see everything. Um, but, yeah, I think it would have been more enjoyable without the red light. Also, yeah, Kane won. He hit the tombstone and he pinned Mankind's arms. His hands were laid out like a cross and he just put his hands on his wrists. As opposed to when The Undertaker does it and he puts the mm. arms over the chest like you're in a coffin. It's just a subtle difference yeah. as to the way that Kane executes the tombstone pin. Well, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, Kane's on fire, all right. What's going to put it out? I don't know if anything can. I'd certainly like to encourage the first 3,000 fans uh, to uh, send in their, their cable bills or their satellite bills. I'm a little clipped here with this uh, Kane business. Well, I'll just tell you, all you got to do is send your cable bill to Survivor Series offer, Post Office Box 5448. Rockville Center, New York, and we're going to send you absolutely free a World Wrestling Federation dog tag. But like you said, it's limited to the first 3,000 fans, so get that get that cable bill in right away. Hey, Ollie, if you send in your cable bill, you get a WWF dog tag. A WWF dog tag? What is this, Metal Gear Solid 2? And it's only limited to the first 3,000 people that send in their cable bills to show that they bought... Survivor Series 1997. That implies a lot of people send in their cable bills then. To get at least 3,000. Yeah, or, like or do you think that, like, you know, 20 did? And well, they've just got loads of these dog tags left over. I want to. I, one of my dreams would be to go around that WWF archive warehouse. Right. Where it's just got bits of the set yep. and stuff like this. There are thousands of caskets in that place. 
Really? Like, yeah, so uh, Malcolm uh, Bevans, I think his name is, he's one of the guys they've got down in, it's uh, Stoke Hathley, mm. um, down in NXT, who they're just not using on TV. So he's trying to use social media to get himself over and try and get people to petition to get him more on TV. Yeah. Like, he'll go out and just stand in the crowd, mm. like, for NXT tapings, and then be like, look, I was there, I made it on TV. Um, but he was doing, like, video tours around that archive building, and there is a moment when he like he was looking for something like as a skit, <laughs> and there is a moment where he's just walking down this corridor of caskets that are all just sort of stacked up in racks. Oh my god, that's yeah. pretty bleak for a, a company that's had so many early death right controversies. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway. Yeah, probably a lot of those dog tags there. There's our limited edition dog tags, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Michael Cole is standing by with uh, Commissioner Slaughter and of course Vince McMahon. That's right, JR, and Commissioner, uh, unusual tension in the air this evening. We have extra security backstage at the locker room area, so nothing will happen back here. I assure you that. Vince? It's important that WWF fans get to see this match. This match, of course, uh, was to have happened on a number of occasions, and it did not for a number of reasons. Hopefully, we will have none of those reasons and the fans of Montreal and the fans all over the world will get to see this extraordinary match with two of the greatest WWF superstars in history. Vince, I'm going to put you on the hot seat now. Who's going to win? I don't know. It's Vince McMahon and Commissioner Slaughter. Backstage, we see Michael Cole is with Vince McMahon and Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, they're just there to say that Brett and Sean will happen tonight. Um, because it was supposed to have happened several times now before. And uh, Vince says he doesn't know, but he has a smile on his face because he does know. Foreshadowing. Yes, well, this is interesting, isn't it? So Cole talks about the tension backstage. Michael Cole, by the way, here is pre-Rent Boy. Mm-hmm. He goes full Rent Boy in the Attitude Era with that sort of ear-piercing, oh, yeah. blonde tips. streak down the hair. Oh yeah. No, this is serious question war reporter, Cole. Yep. Serious journalist. I think that's massively... You know when people say, hey, Michael Cole was a serious journalist back in the day. I'm like, two decades ago. <laughs> and, and really, is there any... Ev- I've, ne- I've never seen any evidence of that being a, like, I mean, all, really serious. All I know is it was a big part of his heel character. Mm. Um, so Cole... Cole well, Slaughter says extra security is in place backstage. Yeah. I mean, not enough to stop the company chairman getting punched in the face by the end of the night. And Cole, he does put Vince on the spot. It's a weird question to ask. So weird. And he says, I've got to bring this up. I've got to put you on the spot. Who do you think's going to win tonight? And Vince, who's playing it very straight, like this is not heel Mr. McMahon yet. This is mm. stoic, normal person backstage. And he says, I don't know. With the sl- like, you're right. With the slightest smirk, and I gotta think, did Vince ask Cole to ask him that question? Because it does come a little bit, of, not out of nowhere, but it's odd. It, knowing how this pay per view yeah. ends, it's so weird to watch in hindsight. And then with also the knowledge of what happens on Raw for like the next couple of weeks, with the whole Jim Ross sit down interview and the Brett screwed Brett interview, that this smile seemingly is there to set up mm. all of the stuff that happens next, which is why I think a lot of wrestlers think it's a work. Well, and, and you know, it's weird that Vince is down there. If I don't think it's a work. 
But I do think Vince knew what he was about to do and thought, I might as well make a storyline out of that's this. That's exactly it. And that's what I think. arguably created the best heel character ever off the back of it. I completely agree with you. I think, that's, I think this is there purposefully because he knows how this show is going to end <laughs> mm. and what he's going to do for the next couple of weeks. And that's that's great subtle storytelling. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's very ethically ambiguous. Uh, yeah, well, well, we'll get yeah. to that because before that, we've got to get through the Nation of Domination versus Team America. Oh, it's not Team America again. It's uh, the Le- uh, Legion of Doom, the WWF Tag Team Champions, Ken Shamrock and Ahmed Johnson. This was a lot of fun. Poor old Ahmed, though. Like, he at one point was set to be WWF Champion. Like, they were pushing him to the moon. What happened? I He got... I think he got injured at one point, and then they just gave up. Mm. Granted, promo skills were not his strong suit. Neither was wrestling. (laughs) And neither was wrestling, but Vince loved him, because he was just this big, jacked dude who looked amazing and could hit a big power move every now and again. I mean, like, the Ultimate Warrior was not a great wrestler, Mm, no, but he drew in an audience. I found him uncomfortably large. <laughs> he, he he just he he was big in the wrong places. Mm. Like his shoulders were way too broad, and then it'd have these enormous traps down the side, and it looked like someone had screwed up the mold in a muscle action toy center. It's like two thousand era Scott Steiner. Yeah, but and, even, and and beyond. At least that was just like. A man who was really... Be- he, he was symmetrical. <laughs> I know, but, Ahmed, but he had muscles where you shouldn't no, have you, muscles. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. But Ahmed had, like... I just... I found his body shape really weird. Yeah. Like, you know, steroids can make you look amazing. That's why so many people do them. Uh, and in Steiner's case, he he looked... He sort of looked quite a... What's the word? A shocking amazing. Well, I didn't say okay. I, I wouldn't say this was ath- like aesthetically pleasing. It just it just looked wrong to me. Okay, so I mean, I'm going to take the the different uh, stance on this because I think Ahmed looks great. Really, I think Scott Steiner looks weird. Yes, like, I think I, Scott, yeah, Scott Steiner just that. looks so like no human should look like that. That looks like a broken toy. Like it, he looks like a really bad Rob Liefeld drawing mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. come to life somehow. But he does look like a pro wrestler. <laughs> okay, true. Ahmed Johnson looks like a roided up freak <laughs> trying to be a pro wrestler. Have I you, know that yeah. that sounds such a similar criticism to what you could say at Steiner. I don't know how to explain it here. Have you ever seen Ahmed Johnson's <laughs> WWF Warzone promos? No. Oh, get the, get them up on the YouTube's now because that is like the perfect example of probably why Ahmed Johnson was not going to be WWF champion. Here we go. He's got a radioactive sign in the back. You're ready? Well, let's do it. But you have to face. Because it's time to meet the real superstar of WWF. I'm going to beat you. And no one going to come say you're sorry, Carlos. Just make sure you got plenty of insurance, punk. <laughs> Listen up, punk. That little ass. He's not good at the speaking. Don't put him in such an echoey room, mate. (laughs) I feel like they're setting them up to fail. Come on, Acclaim. Sort it out, lads. Uh, But anyway, uh, it's it's a nation of domination. Rocky Maivea, he he didn't turn heel not too long ago. Yes, to to join the nation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And that was, of course, off of the whole 
blue-eyed baby face push. Which did not work. And the crowd turned on him. And back in those days, WWF were a lot more receptive to change, so they turned him heel. To create one of the biggest stars they've ever had. Yeah, they never did with John Cena and Roman Reigns. Absolutely not, no. So yeah, it's uh, Rocky Maivir with D'Lo Brown and Kama Mustafa, who we would later know as the Godfather. Previously, we would have known as... Uh, Papa Shango. Yes. Papa Shango. Uh, and the leader, Farouk. Uh, but it was not about race. They, they no. kept, you know, they want to make it very clear the Nation of Domination was never about race. It was totally about race. But when they got backlash <laughs> for it, they said, it's not about race. Yeah, when they all do the black power salute, <laughs> standing in the ring next to each other. But it's not about race. And also, I found this quite uncomfortable. Thank you, JR. Gentlemen, here we go. The traditional Survivor Series elimination tag team matches with gang rules. Obviously, a dangerous situation, which should be right up the alley for the world's most dangerous man. That's right. We're here to take care of business. And I got the tag team champions of the WWF. Hawking animal. And speaking of survival, Ahmed Johnson is no stranger to that. And when we get in that ring, it's going to be time to knuckle up and take care of some of that criminal element. Tell him, Hawk. Seems to me, it seems to me that there's a lot of criminal elements amongst the WWF. Well, we are the sergeants of arms, and we're going to get rid of the riffraff, starting with a nation domination. When we get done with you, you'll all be down, face down in a pool of blood, hoping you got a friend to tip you on your back so you don't drown in your own blood. What a rush. All right, JR, here we go. Back to you at ringside. It cut to the babyface promo backstage beforehand, and uh, Ken Shamrock is just being scarily intense. The oh, man's yeah. amazing. But then it goes to Hawk. And Hawk says there's a criminality in the WWF. Mm-hmm. And they're going to rid them of the criminal. And I, I'm not schooled up on all the storylines here. Well, what they're talking about, they're talking about gang rules. Yeah. Like, they're talking about how, like, it's become street fights a mania in the WWF because there's all of these street mm. gangs. Essentially, what Vince Russo wanted to do was create the Warriors yeah. in the WWF. So, like, the nation are one group. The the bikers. The, great the, idea. A great idea. Um, the, the, you know, Jackal and his lot. I've already forgotten what they're called now. Um, the Truth Commission. Thank you, the Truth Commission. And you know, all of these sort of groups and stuff. So what he's talking about is... There is this street gang mentality in the WWF, but the Legion of Doom are going to wipe this out. Problem is, he cuts this promo before they go out to face the Nation of Domination, Mm. and it just sounds like he is saying, there's too many black folk around here, (laughs) and I think it's probably about time we got rid of them. What a rush. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he hopes that uh, that they have friends to tip them over so they don't drown in their own blood. Mm. Crikey. Uh, but the baby faces get an amazing reaction. Oh, Ken, man. Ken Shamrock gets a huge reaction. Ahmed Johnson gets like a gasp just because of how weirdly ripped he is. But the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, they are megastars. Ooh, <laughs> Crowd explode for the uh, Legion of Doom coming out. And like, you know, I, I totally forget because I, I, you know, the Legion of Doom was sort of that hangover at this stage when they were entering the Attitude Era, like the British Bulldog and we spoke about earlier, when really it was <coughs> and Vader. Totally wrestlers that could fit in the Attitude Era, but were technically relics of the previous era. Completely. So you kind of forget like those 80s sellout arenas of them coming through the crowd and people going nuts. Yeah. 
They were legit national mega, mega, mega stars. Because they never lost. Yes. <laughs> and, and... What a novel concept. Never took bumps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. The Legion of Doom or the Road Warriors were amazing. Um, but uh, Hawk dominates D'Lo, but then runs into a rock bottom and is eliminated straight away. That uh, rock bottom, by the way. Yeah. Isn't it fascinating how finishers really do rely on being over? Yes. Because oh, yeah. that that rock bottom just feels like a rubbish sidewalk slam. Yeah. They call it a urinaki. Yeah. And the crowd don't react to it. But if that was just a few months later... Gets him in the setup position, looks round, slight pause, crowd know what's going to happen, reaction when it hits. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, of course he would be eliminated. But here, when it's not over to that extent, just looks like another move. Any old move. Um, we see that later with a people's elbow. <laughs> That's right. It's yeah. just a tiny little elbow. That's right, yeah. Uh, Ahmed is in next. The heels beat up Ahmed for a long time, and Dio whips him uh, around with a strap. Um, Ahmed falls down while Farouk's trying to do the oh, dominator. Yeah. And then hits the Pearl River plunge to eliminate him. So the leader of the nation domination already out. Mm -hmm. uh, which would actually kind of like set up a, a long, not a long storyline, but there's a the storyline for the nation coming up soon is that Rocky's looking to <coughs> oust Farouk as the leader because yeah. he wants to take over the nation. Um, crowd chant, and they chant this a lot throughout this match, Rocky's gay. Oh, really? I only heard Rocky sucks. Oh, no, they chanted Rocky's gay a lot during mm. this match. Well, there's a lot of. I mean, you see in the main event all the all the signs yeah, that yeah. Shawn Michaels is a, you know, discarded cigarette butt. Yeah, absolutely. Know. Yeah, a lot of that. Uh, D'Lo tries to work over Ahmed, but it doesn't quite work. So uh, the Rock tags in. Farouk, who hasn't left ringside yet, trips up Ahmed, and the Rock pins him while Farouk is holding his left his leg down. This ref is awful. Yeah, because it wasn't just interference. Fine, the leg was under the ropes. Oh yeah. Yeah. The referee should be checking for that. And they keep putting over as well throughout this match, uh, throughout the show, in fact. There's two referees. There's one in the ring and one around ringside to make sure no shenanigans happen. This is shenanigans, and they let it happen. I need to cut to, uh, was it VAR? VAR. <laughs> it's ruining football, Ollie Davis. That's <laughs> all I've heard this year. Um, Carmen Mustafa and Ken Shamrock go at it. They're meant to be, like, the ultimate fighters. So uh, I'd, I'd imagine they probably quite like that. Bearing in mind, actually, like, Godfather, legit tough dude. Mm. Like, you know, that's why him and The Undertaker were, like, you know, best friends. And they were part of the Bone Street crew, whatever it was they so called themselves. Lame. It's. <laughs> I wouldn't tell him that. <laughs> no. But. Well, I mean, I'd, I, I kind of... So I, I was kind of enamored with the Bone Street crew, despite the fact it's a lame, mm. lame name. Because it sounds like... The Bone Street crew. Like, it is like a Vince Russo creation. And then you find out later in life that Bones is just another word for playing dominoes. And you're like, oh, it's because they all play dominoes together. Oh, <laughs> that's such an old man thing. Because <laughs> then I just see old man Undertaker backstage push his little reading glasses yeah. out to be like, I've got me some twos here that I'm going to place down now. And it feels... Oh, they'd do hard dominoes. <laughs> they'd be drinking whiskey... The whole room full of cigarette smoke. Yeah. Betting. <laughs> but when I think dominoes, I think my granddad. Yeah. Because yeah. I used to play it with my granddad mm. a lot while we, you know while he was still on this earth. So while he was drinking whiskey, smoking cigarettes, and throwing money around. Um. No, because it was better with two peas and stuff. But I suppose we were throwing those two peas yeah. around quite liberally at times. You know. Or I, I bet they were doing it in one of Godfather's strip clubs. <laughs> Most playing likely. dominoes on the. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to bet for one of your women. 
Um, Animal tags in and starts an LOD chant. Um, there's a sound malfunction over the speakers at this point, and King goes, oh, that's Kevin Dunn's fault. Does he really? <laughs> yeah. I, I heard the weird noise over the Tannoy system. But... <laughs> it was just so weird to be like, Kevin Dunn, you idiots. <laughs> Lawler is. I mean, I wonder if that line was fed to him from Vince. Absolutely, yeah. Match really slows down. Karma celebrates with uh, The Rock, but uh, that's to his detriment because Animal schoolboys him for a pin. Yeah, and the the Animal section was a bit slow. Yeah. Uh, But then it's D-Lo and Rock against Ken Shamrock. Yeah. Easily the three most charismatic guys in this whole match. I know, obviously, Legion of Doom are very charismatic, but they kind of past it at this point yeah totally unfortunately so you've got all this like freshness of these three guys D'Lo Brown is so just engaging as an in-ring presence yeah but because he's next to The Rock who is probably the most charismatic guy ever to wrestle yeah he doesn't look he just looks like another guy D'Lo Brown is one of the most fascinating wrestlers I think of of the w of the late 90s because this is like his ascent into that mid card position and throughout 98 and 99 he is a strong focal point of that mid card european intercontinental championship scene every single pay-per-view you get a delo brown match and you get like delo brown versus val venus delo brown versus mark henry and he's always there to be like the workhorse and then mid 1999 jericho comes into the company and in 2000 Benoit Guerrero, Satin and Malenko mm. come in, and all of a sudden D'Lo Brown's like, oh, D'Lo Brown's crap. Look yeah. at these guys. Yeah. These guys are amazing. And D'Lo Brown just gets forgotten about. And him and Val just fall to the waist that have been like, you're relics of the past. It's like, the past? One year ago, he was like the Intercontinental Champion on every pay-per-view. 2000, can't get on a show at all. Just shows how quickly the industry moved that the, in, in those couple of years. Crazy. Yeah. In 2001, he's part of that tag team with uh, Lowdown, with him and Mosh. And they were managed by Tiger Ali Singh. And they were like, you now wear turbans. That's your gimmick. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they get taken out of the Royal Rumble so Drew Carey <laughs> can get a spot. That's where D'Lo Brown finds himself in 2001. That was great, though. <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> to be fair. Um, Animal, in all of this, though, does get a, quote, Hot tag. Yeah, it's not, not that hot. <laughs> but he gets distracted because the New Age Outlaws come out dressed as the Legion of Doom. Those dastardly heels. How dare they steal their ring gear and put face paint on. The dicks. Uh, and that distracts him. Animal attacks them and, gets, uh, and throws down a ref. Uh, Road Dog throws powder in Animal's face and he gets counted out. It shows how much stock the company was putting in the New Age Outlaws at this time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Shamrock's on his own against D'Lo and The Rock. They put over that Shamrock made Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart submit uh, quite recently, like in the lead-up to this pay-per-view, mm. which is something that comes into play when we talk about the screw job mm. at the end of the night. Shamrock fires up and taps out D'Lo Brown. Then we get a chair shot by The Rock to his back, but Shamrock kicks out at two. That's a great book in there. Yeah. You know, you really stack the odds against the baby face. Uh, and yeah, that, that chair shot was behind the referee's back, so yes. it's the right kind of heat. In fact, there were a few referees checking on D'Lo. Yes. So you could, you, that was genuine be- cheating. Yes, it was yeah. really good stuff. And then, as you said earlier, Rock hits the people's elbow for a two count to no reaction. Because it wasn't it wasn't I a know, thing. It was just a spot he did. But it's so weird yeah. to watch him do... Watch The Rock do that move, and people go like, eh. He just, like, casually runs off two ropes... And then there's a little arm thing, elbow drop. Yeah. So weird. (laughs) 
But I, I, I find it so interesting to go back and see the, almost mm. the birth of these moves. I thought these final two were really good. Rock, Rock and Ken Shamrock. Yeah. Just that both guys are, well, one's so intense and the other's so charismatic. And this whole sequence here is to build up their WrestleMania yeah, match because yeah. these two fight over the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania the following year. And it's just really nice to essentially, let's set up this feud now and we'll pay it off in three months' time. Mm. Really, really nice stuff. Yeah, because Shamrock screams to fire up. Awesome intensity. Ah! Yeah. It's the, the Shamrock move. <laughs> and then gets the ankle lock on Rock, and Rock taps yeah. like, pretty quickly as well. So that's like really good babyface booking to keep Shamrock on the upswing. And then th- does Rock go into WrestleMania as the champion? He does, yes. Yeah, so you've got, you've got that argument that Shamrock made him tap out at Survivor Series. Great long-term booking. Love it. Uh, Dave Meltzer would say the purpose of this match was to get Shamrock over as one of the top echelon guys, and it seemed that goal was accomplished. During the commentary, Jim Ross on several occasions was really trying to position Shamrock up to the next level, even hinting that he could be the top star in the promotion at some point. Two and three-quarter stars from Meltzer for the match. Oh, I enjoyed it more. I'd give it three and a half. Yeah, I, I, I think Meltzer's unfair of the, that one. I mean, if you look at it, it's weirdly, it's one of those matches that at the time probably wasn't that good but looking back on it through a historical lens i found it really enjoyable just because yeah. you know it was it's rock just on the cusp of being rock that's it yeah. so i give it i give it three and a half yeah i really enjoyed the match actually i thought it was a lot of fun mm. it was it was my favorite of the survivor series oh, elimination by a matches long by way. a long long way uh we get the announcement there are twenty thousand five hundred and ninety three people in the building a legit number no way. Yeah, apparently so. Canada doesn't lie. And, and with JR saying that the WWF are the leaders in sports entertainment. Mm. I feel like there's always that asterisk there because they're the only game in town for sports entertainment. <laughs> uh, we then get a promo, what I thought was a promo for D-Generation X. Yeah, same. But it, it's not. It's, it's for the next pay-per-view on December 7th, which is called In Your House, D-Generation X. So had NWO had their own pay-per-view by this Sold point? out was in 98. So, oh, okay, that's interesting. So... A faction got their own pay-per-view before them. But it felt like the WWF were always like, you know, like a cold day in hell happened this year. And that felt like that was for The Undertaker. It was like mm. it's almost like named after him because he was <clears> going to be in the main event. It just felt like they were just naming pay-per-views after the stars. I think next year's Rock Bottom, uh, next year's In Your House around this time is called Rock Bottom. Because um, oh, Rock, yeah. Rock was champion. I really like that. I, Ring of Honor went through a, a spate of doing that in the early 2010s where they'd run their big shows like Final Battle and Death Before Dishonor. But then they'd also have like, it wasn't called this, but it was effectively Young Blood Uprising. Mm -hmm. And the whole show was structured around the, what was, well, it was Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole as Davey Richards and Eddie Edwards' underlings Mm -hmm. coming up over the American Wolves, like a passing of the torch pay-per-view. And, and actually, that had Kevin Owens return and cut a rock referencing promo in the Hammerstein Ballroom. It's fantastic, but, but yeah, like I like that—the idea of storyline named. It's like you're putting the name of the pay per view after the storyline character development, as opposed to here's Helena Cell. Now we've got to awkwardly fudge in all our storylines to fit that. Yeah, I mean, it is. I find it very jarring that it always it always happens in October, November mm. that. Four people get really angry at the Undisputed Era and feel like they have to team up <laughs> so that Regal can say, War Games! What a ne- surprise. Never happens any other time yeah. of the year. Like, they never get angry at them in March as a unit. You see, all you have to do to fix that problem is give the War Games match annual stakes. So it's not having to be based around the storyline thing. It's, 
like money in the bank. You don't need everyone to suddenly awkwardly set up a money in the bank match. You're like, here is money in the bank. Here is Royal Rumble because you get these things off the back of it. That's the story. They're storylines in themselves. I always felt that NXT should just save war games for when it's needed. Like you don't do it. You don't need to do it as an annual pay-per-view. You just bring that gimmick out when the story Mm. requires it. Like Hell in a Cell used to be effectively before they were just like, no, 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 it's, it's now... It's now an annual thing. We're going to have two of them. And even though you're only just starting your feud, you're going to have it inside <laughs> Hell in a Cell. And we're going to have to add two people into it on the other side. <laughs> it's, yeah, because back in the WCW days, it was never a annual thing. It just popped up mostly at Super Brawls. Um, yeah, and it was just like throughout the years. Sometimes yeah. they do it at Starcade if, they were, if, you know, if the story required it. Um, it was just a, ma- it was a match type that was there when it was needed. Yeah, like uh, like a lot of match types were. You know what ruined that? I and the, it's a great pay per view idea, and I loved it at the time. But it's TNA lockdown. They caused all of this. That's very true, actually. Yeah, like WWE didn't start gimmick pay per views until seeing the success of lockdown. Yeah, which was TNA's second biggest drawing pay per view of the year, usually where everything was inside that red. Dome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah well, no, that, that was that was the 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 other. I can't remember what that match was called oh, now. God, yeah, but they just had a black wrong. cage that was just around yes. the thing. But every match was a cage match, even mm. if it didn't need to be. And yet they would still find a way to add more gimmicks to it. <laughs> hey, do you know what this match needs? A blindfold. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, right up next, we have got Steve Austin going against Owen Hart for the Intercontinental Championship. Here's a video package. He has redefined the phrase. Playing in pain. And Steve Austin, ladies and gentlemen, went to the emergency room after his first matchup with bald man Mark Miro and had some 16 stitches in his mouth and in, I believe his tongue and has returned back here to the king of the ring. And the stunner applied again. One, two, and he got him. Stone Cold Steve Austin lives by one philosophy. It's not how many times you go down that counts. It's how many times you get up. Well, obviously, Austin doesn't want any help. He's got one leg. He's lost all kinds of blood. But wait a minute. He's hurt. He's wounded. But here comes Stone Cold. Down comes Steve Austin. Let's get to the ring. Austin coming out to get a shot at the Hurt Foundation. Now he's getting up for a payback performance. Owen Hart holds up his little slammy like he's some kind of big shot. He's the biggest piece of crap I ever laid my eyes on. And if he was here in person, I'd put about a dozen arrows right through his There you go, Owen, you piece of Oh! The feeling, however, is mutual. Now, we all know what I'm capable of doing. Let's see what Austin can do with him and go. How about that? Go, Close to the end of the match, when, when uh, Owen Hart dumped me on my head, you figure I weigh 245, 250, bam, you get planted in the mat, it happens. And uh, for basically about 50 seconds, I couldn't move my arms and my legs, and I didn't know if I ever would move again. It was pretty damn scary. So uh, Owen Hart has got hell to pay. You get dumped on your head, you get the position that I was put in, it ain't worth a damn. And I'm just uh, a little bit off. I'm not a little bit off. I'm a whole lot off. Austin proved his legacy by rising this night. When you do what he did to me, you know, 
Well, if it's my last step in life, you can damn well bet he's going to get the kicked out of him one way or the other. Here comes that rattlesnake! This belt and myself are going into Canada at the Survivor Series against you, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And believe me, this belt is going to stay where it belongs. On November 9th, it ain't a wrestling match. It's payback time for Owen Hart. When you're looking up from the mat with your neck broken in half, and believe me, this belt is going to stay in Canada where it belongs. You American people don't deserve to see me a champion of my caliber. At Survivor Series, will anyone be able to stand up in the end? Well, that's a great question, and ladies and gentlemen, we're going to find out because Stone Cold and Owen Hart are next. So Austin broke his neck three months ago. At SummerSlam. That's amazing. Whoa, man. And they like, this video package is here to put over. Austin is tough. Like, he is a tough, yeah. tough dude because he broke his neck three months ago and he is already back in the ring and going for a belt. It's crazy. Yeah, and they keep on putting over how he just keeps on coming for you no matter what. All these clips of Austin limping down to the ring, like, sort of like... That the Undertaker would do that, but it'd be this unstoppable force. This was just like some crazy brawler guy, yeah, who wouldn't I just stop coming up. Yeah, yeah, because they, like they say, like he he hurt himself in that first round of King of the Ring, but he still fought mm. another two matches and he won the damn thing and the birth of three sixteen. It's yeah, what a tough tough dude. The, the there's a shot in it where the, the, it looks like it could have been taken. It could have been taken last week. Because it's Austin in that sort of hunting top, the camo top, <laughs> yeah. with a giant crossbow. I'm like, <laughs> I see this on a on a weekly basis on your Instagram and stuff, yeah. or whatever he's promoting his podcast on. And he just shoots this picture of Owen Hart. So scary. <laughs> it's still so unnecessary. But again, th- I don't think you book this match here. Because yes. you're meant to have like your returning American hero, Austin, going up against... Canada's Owen Hart in Canada. So it I just don't think it works as well as it would have done had you done this the following month when you're in America. Oh, totally, yeah. I, I get why they put it here, because it's Survivor Series. That was a big deal back then. Big four pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was big yeah. four, because big five would be king of the ring as well. Um, and if Owen's ready to go, it's part of the story. Three months is a lot more impressive than four. Uh, Owen Hart had that excellent T-shirt. Owen three sixteen, and on the back, I just broke your neck. Yeah, oh, so so good. But it is worth noting that Owen's working this match hurts. Oh, really? Yeah. So like, Owen's not ready for this match either. <laughs> it's why it's so short. Right. Yeah. It's because technically, going by the reports, Austin's not really ready, and Owen's hurt. But they did this match anyway. Which is why I think mm. probably could have waited. Yeah, you could, you could have done this at the Rumble. Although Austin had to win the Rumble, I guess, because they were going on to him, you know, winning the title at WrestleMania the following year. Yeah, it was probably ill-advised from a location and state of both guys' perspective. Yeah. However, Austin had a lot of momentum off of King of the Ring. Uh, yeah, that's where it started. So I, I totally and going in for WrestleMania with this match yeah. against Brett. So, so you know, King of the Ring, that it's like King of the Ring wins it. Survivor Series wins the Intercontinental title. Royal Rumble wins that. Am I right? Uh, well, he also won the uh, Intercontinental title from, Bre- uh, from Owen at SummerSlam, but that was the match where he broke his neck and had to vacate it. Yeah. So he had to win the title back again here. Yeah, so it's like every Big Five pay-per-view is this huge, increasingly big stepping stone for Austin. Yeah. 
It's, so, it's really smart. Yeah. I, 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 and I get that, but it's also... He's hurt. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, and you know, they, they did have a story. They hardly took it And again, bumps. it was like, I'd imagine Austin said this himself on a podcast, that you just don't tell people that you're hurt. Mm. You, because if you do, you lose your spot. Someone yeah. else gets that spot ahead of you. All of a sudden, you're out. Like, you, you know, you're on your ass. You're D-Lo Brown. Or uh, Dolph Ziggler. Or Dolph Ziggler. It's, you know, this is, and Austin would then get that mentality of, I'm doing what I need to do in order to remain over. And he was so over this point. They did a really smart job of when he broke his neck, keeping him on TV. Like, you know, he would just do phone interviews. He would have video updates. So even though you're, one of your pros- top prospects is gone, he's still there. And he's still fresh in your mind. He's even answering fan questions on internet forums. <laughs> My next fan. <laughs> so, but, and he gets a huge pop coming uh, out of this, literally breaking through glass as he makes his entrance. Was it glass? It looked like cardboard. It looked like the Shockmaster. <laughs> I know. Only half of it broke. He had to sort of punch through it. <laughs> but I love that Owen's got ambulance sirens in his entrance music. What a dick. Owen is amazing. Yeah. He? Comes He's out- like, like, you can see... Kevin Owens is so named after Owen Hart. Mm. His son is named Owen, I believe. It is, yeah. After Owen Hart. Right, yeah. And you can see Owen's dickish behavior in, yeah. in, in a, a, a comedy heelish way in Kevin Owens's own approach Completely, to stuff. Completely, yeah, because he comes out, Bulldog's carrying both of his slammies for him. Because <laughs> <laughs> he won two slammies and he did it on his own. <laughs> Woo! So good. <laughs> The- uh, but the but it isn't like a total babyface reaction for Stone Cold, as you said, because it's in Canada. There is a very vocal portion opposite the corner of the ring that Austin like even sits down on the middle rope and challenges one of the fans to get in. Yeah, like, come on, I'll fight you then. Yeah, totally. Because there's someone in the crowd. There's, there's someone in the crowd's got a sign that says "Break his neck, Owen." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just broke his neck three months ago. There's there's one point in the match where Jr's like, "This crowd want to see Owen break his neck again." Yeah, someone literally shouts from the crowd, "Break his neck." Yeah. <laughs> so this crowd, it's so weird. It's it's well, that's the that's the era, isn't yeah, it? Totally. Like, yeah, totally. Hit him in the head with a chair again. Yeah. It's like we know it's wrong, but we can also pretend it's oh, all yeah. fake still. It's too hot for TV. Yeah. So crowd are into Owen. Um, <laughs> Owen, uh, Austin tears up Owen's t-shirt because like Owen throws it out and he's like tearing it up too and she doesn't get the great reaction that it was Nightheart tries to attack Austin right at the start stunner to Nightheart this matches on uh, and the crowd start chanting break his neck break his neck bloodthirsty crowd yeah well, Owen teases a pile driver right at the start. Love that. To an, like a huge pop. I know. It could have been CM Punk setting up the go to sleep in Chicago. It's so funny. Uh, Owen low blows Austin uh, by the tables, bearing in mind he is, because he is the heel. Yeah. But it just, this pay-per-view also shows you that WWF have rewritten their own history, that they always booked the Hart Foundation to be baby faces in Canada and the Americans to be heels. When this show quite often has shown us that no no they were just heels all the time yeah, yeah the crowd just cheered them yeah and so it wasn't wwf booking the crowd just cheered them um big owen chance for all of this he's choking austin with the cable and owen is yelling at the referee to dq him <laughs> he's choking him like dq me ref dq me <laughs> even, so good. even goes over and rings the bell to be like match yes, is over yes, that was really funny um, and oh, he's so good. He's Owen Hart is so 
Good as a heel. And this is brilliantly backed up because then Jim Ross on commentary said, the match isn't over. And King goes, it's not? <laughs> but the, the bell rang. Such a doofus. Austin with a thumb to the eye and then King calls him a cheater. <laughs> oh, look at Austin cheating. That's so good. They are brawling all over the place. By the- Lots of smoke and mirrors because both guys are working hurt. Yeah. Um, uh, they redo the pile driver spot, but Austin hits the stunner and gets the win. New IC champion, Team Canada all get stunners too. Uh, made Austin look amazing. Yes. Uh, the, the only downside is that it was in Canada mm-hmm. when the, the crowd reaction was naturally split. Still cheered for Austin, but it wouldn't have been as huge as if it was done on home turf. Exactly. But totally see why they did it. And I, I kind of agree with them. Yeah. Just looking at the lot, like this was, it wasn't the most effective way to do it, but sometimes you got to do the most effective thing for the overall arc. Yeah. Dave Meltz would say the match was short without a lot of bumps since uh, Austin's neck is injured to the point that he really shouldn't be working mm. and this is Hart's first match back after the concussion and he really wasn't ready to work ready to work either. Out of nowhere Austin hit the stunner for the pin. After the match he gave stunners to both Furness and Lafon as well. One star. Ah. Oh, yeah, weird. I mean, I quite... I was thinking about this pay-per-view. I from from Mankind Kane onwards, I actually really enjoyed a lot of the stuff. Yeah. It, it, we said it about at the start. It's the opposite of a WCW pay-per-view of this era where it's like an amazing undercard and a terrible main event. Yeah. This is a terrible undercard with some really fun final matches. Like you've got Mankind Kane, Austin, Owen Hart, uh Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart and yeah. The Rock. Like just I mean maybe it's because that's my era that I grew up as a kid watching, so I've I maybe give it a little bit more leeway. But yeah, I really enjoyed what one star. I guess if you're watching all Japan at that time, like he was. Uh, but again, but can... and this is Pritchard's complaint with Meltzer star ratings, and I do agree with Pritchard to a degree on this, which I don't do very often. Hmm. Meltzer is always giving star rating based on work rate, as opposed to the story that's being told, and so that one star is because it was a very short match. They didn't do a lot of moves. And so it's a one-star match. Which you can't really argue with because a Meltzer always says, this is my rating system. This is not an objective rating system for all of wrestling. Yeah. And it's totally, it's totally true. But because he's so revered and is so prominent, people think it is an objective rating system and then argue with him for having his opinions. Yeah. Well, I was interested to get your take on this because he came under fire quite recently for the Moxley Omega match at Full mm. Gear, which he hated. Like he... It kept saying on the on his radio show, yeah. I did not like this match. I did not like watching these two guys have this match. He doesn't like hardcore. No, but he gave the match, I think, something like four and three quarter stars in the newsletter, while all the while saying, I hate this match. And he has the same thing with Undertaker Mankind. It's like, I hate that match, but the work rate in it is really good. So it does get a good star rating. And a few people have said, you can't hate the match and then give it nearly five stars. It's because you've got AEW bias. Huh. Now I I I, t- I I think that's very consistent with what he's always said. He's he's in fact he's so rigid to his work rates standards that he will award something uh, a high rating even if he doesn't like the match because he can recognise from his like what he thinks is an objective standpoint is is a well worked match. And he's always said as well if it gets over with the crowd, then you can't argue against it. Yeah, like, like I mean, Punk Cena. Is not a good in-ring match. Like, there's a lot of botches. We've said it before. But it's just magic. Yeah. Everything clicks in that match. Completely. And he gave that five stars. So, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, we get it's that. very hard <laughs> to maintain a consistent viewpoint 
of ratings. Yeah. I, cu- I dropped it after six months because I couldn't do it. He's been doing it for about 35 years. <laughs> about 50 years yeah. at this point, yeah. I know what you're thinking. I'm not a real athlete. I'm just a wrestler. I'm six foot ten, three hundred and twenty-eight pounds. I was a consensus All-American. Played football for the Dallas Cowboys. My jersey was retired at Florida State. I voted the greatest sports hero in Germany three years in a row. When you step through those ropes, bad things do happen. Had over two hundred stitches. I've suffered a dozen concussions. I've broken bones. I've separated shoulders. Bad hair broke my neck. I've blown out knees. But I've still got up. This is who I am. This is what I do. I'm not really an athlete. This isn't real. Try lacing my boots. Uh, Right, the (coughs) WWF wrestlers are here to talk about how athletic they are and how good they are at what they do. And they put over how they're former football players, all the injuries. You don't think I'm an athlete? Try lacing up my boots. WWF attitude. Yeah, at first I thought this was a Don't Try This At Home video package. It's got like Austin, Ahmed, Bret Hart, Undertaker. I thought they were going to say, we do this, we do that. But I've had, you know, Austin's like, I broke my neck. Uh, and other people talk about their injuries. I'm like, oh, now you're going to tell me to not try this at home. But no, it ends with, and that's why we're tough guys. This ain't fake. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, that uh, took a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> Did not see that coming, I'll Did be honest the with you. The opposite of what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> But here it is. We've arrived at the main event for the WWF Championship. It's Bret Hart, Canada's hero, taking on that complete dick, Shawn Michaels. Here's a video package. We're down to one minute and change. I think the wrong guy won. This is bullshit. Everybody screwed me. I don't like him. I don't trust him. And I don't believe him. You know, a lot of people don't agree with my lifestyle, but it is mine. It's a phony little shit. Just because I come out here and choose to live my life openly and freely does not make you a better man. I don't respect you. understand what it means to have dignity, to have poise, to bring prestige to the World Wrestling Federation. I do this because I like it. You do it because in your mind, Mark Man, you really think all of this is yours. is what it's all about. You are a zero, my hero. You're a disgrace to professional wrestling. The heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, is the icon that can still go. You're nothing but a degenerate. Who is the show stopper? Me. The lowest form of skull. Who is the main event? Me. Let's settle the score right here, right now. Super kick is going to be one foot 
down your throat. I'm gonna kick your little scrawny ass. So they recap the the mania where Sean won the you know the year prior because it was meant to build the mania rematch at in 1997, but Sean got hurt. Mm-hmm. I did big air quotes there for podcast listeners. I'm sure you could probably tell by my inflection that he got hurt and could and just you know somehow unfortunately could put over Bret Hart. Yeah, he didn't want to lose. <laughs> and Bret calls him a phony little S word. I it just. Both both guys are incredible at this time because it's so real. Yeah. And that really comes across. Sean is genuinely a dick. I personally really find that f- fun to watch. Like Enzo Amore, you know, when, when he was full on heel, I, I didn't really care if that was his persona backstage or so because it was so engaging on screen. I imagine it was a nightmare to deal with. But sometimes... Not gen- genius is the wrong word, but people who are so charismatic like that, they are dickheads to deal with. And you've just got to be like, yeah, but they're they're creating great telly. And that's what Sean was. Like, I saw a gif this morning on Reddit, you know, the famous one, where he goes over to a fan and really graphically simulates the fan giving oral, like, oral yeah. sex, like tickling the balls and everything oh, yeah. for a while. Yeah, yeah. And this fan is going, he's getting so wound up and angry. Yeah. What a crazy dickhead move, but what an amazing character. And it, it's, uh, do you know what, it's so weird because I, I mean, I've written a lot in my notes here. I don't like Shawn Michaels mm. because I find him so irritating and so annoying, but I am being worked. Like I am being worked by his dickhead character, but I've never, I've never seen him as a baby face because I've always thought you're such a knob. Like, you're such a tool, and I do not like watching you. But you can't deny that he's a great wrestler. But is it, well, when, you, when you think about that, like, sometimes... Uh, I don't want to say... Bar- Let's use Baron Corbin as an example if he's overpushed. I actually quite like Baron Corbin wrestling. But if he's overpushed... Please unblock me. I'm like, I'm like, just... No, I don't want to see you. You, 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 are, yeah. you annoy me to an extent where I don't want to see you. Yeah. Uh, or Seth Rollins, maybe. That's a better example. You know, I just don't want to see you anymore. But sure, Michael's winds me up to the extent where I'm like, I want to see you on TV because I love to hate you. Yeah. And I want to see you get beat. Is it that kind of thing? I think that, that's probably it. Because I'm, I'm always siding with Brett. Mm. Like, in this scenario, in this war between these two people, I have taken Brett's side. Um, because I, I prefer Brett over Sean. But I equally, I think there are those people that prefer Sean over Brett you know it's it's a waste blur like you like yeah. it's a binary oh, choice yeah. Yeah. and it, it's funny like I always think back to the Wrestlemania when Bret Hart came back and had that horrific match with Vince McMahon which is arguably the worst Wrestlemania match of all time in terms of disappointment sure and there are a lot of bad Wrestlemania matches mm-hmm. to, to put that up against um but I always remember watching that with my friend Wilf who is the biggest Shawn Michaels mark and when that match fell apart, he just said quite bluntly, "Brett's gone back to what Brett does. What Brett does best be effing boring, <sighs> because he is a guy that when he saw Brett, he was like, he's just a wrestler. He's just a boring, boring wrestler. But Shawn Michaels is this charismatic, dancing, doesn't give an f, doing blowjob movements in front of fans to wind them up, wiping his nose on this Canada flag, wiping his ass with it." And that's what he was like. He's like, mm. what a charismatic dude. I want to see that man more on TV. Not the boring, traditional wrestler. It's, it's, 
uh, it's one of the best rivalries of all time. It's wrestler versus sports entertainer. Yeah, it's they, yeah. There's so many layers and levels to it of realism, performance, the the two conflicting ideologies of wrestling. There, like you said, yeah, it's brilliant. It, it 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 just totally makes the, as you said <clears throat> this the the most legendary feud probably of all time because like you could argue Austin McMahon is the most legendary feud, but that was based on both guys working together. Whereas this is two guys who legit hate each other but are forced to work together and there's so much backstage politicking and real life backstage fighting that then leads to this moment. And interesting, you don't get Austin McMahon without this. Very ending. true, absolutely very true. But anyway, this was a great video but package. But Cena versus Orton is, well, well, yeah, is yeah, the top one. Yeah, thankfully that lasted for 200 years. <laughs> um, but it was a great video package with an amazing promos. We see uh, Shawn Michaels come out of his locker room as the European champion with DX, including mm-hmm. Rick Rude, still a part of DX. I know, when does he leave them? <laughs> Um, he shows shortly. up in WCW shortly after this. Yeah, I think it's like early. It's early '98. He's gone yeah. from DX. I mean, that's the real person Vince should have been worried about, right? <laughs> he looks so out of place. It never worked. Whose idea was that? Vince, I guess oh. they thought that they needed like a, a heater or a bodyguard. So they're like, well, we'll put Rick Rude with you. But Rick Rude. In, you go back and watch any of the DX stuff with Rude. He looks like he wants to be anywhere else. And clearly he did. He literally went anywhere else. He went to WCW after this. The great thing about the act is China is the muscle. Yes, exactly. That's the, And like Triple H and Sean have to rely... I know I, this is just like the way it was back then. Have to rely on a woman to sort out their fights for them. That's like where the heel dynamic comes off. Yeah. But it's... But- to show my distaste I have for Shawn Michaels, I've just written here, FHBK for that European title win, by the way. <laughs> um, but DX do not come out with Shawn Michaels. Someone throws a beer at him as he's walking to the ring, but Michaels brilliantly just walks through it, and he's carrying the Canada flag, wipes his undercarriage with it, wipes his nose with it, humps the flag, and there's a sign of the crowd that calls him... As you said earlier, a cigarette butt. Yeah, a lot of a lot of homophobic slurs oh, in the yeah. crowd. It was a different time, different time. But th- this, honestly, Sean's heel work. I don't care if it's real or not. Incredible. He was whipping that Canadian crowd up into a frenzy, and it works so perfectly because when Brett's music hits, oh. Canada's hero just comes out to the most incredible reaction. And it, when you hear this reaction. And you just see how beloved Brett is. You've got to wonder, how did WCW not win this war? Oh my God, like, yeah. <laughs> how did you take <laughs> Brett Hart and be like, I don't know what to do. Like, no <laughs> idea what to do with him. It's, it's ludicrous, yeah. right? Yeah. I did, it's, it's, it's completely incomprehensible. Open goals. There are many open goals that have been spectacularly missed. Yeah. Justice League. Batman v Superman. <laughs> Bret Hart going to WCW. It, th- that company deserves to go under. Mm. And that company deserves all the scrutiny that it gets. Because they f- like failed spectacularly at that. And it took them a month yeah. to bolt it up. Um, but Bret also gets the backstage treatment walking out with Bulldog and Neidhart. And then he just comes out to this just incredible reaction with JR saying, this is the match that's been building for 18 months. And says, and I quote, we'll never see it again. Mm. That that bit backstage is also a kid holding the Canadian flag behind him. Is that his son or something? It could be, I don't know. But it's like watching those three, Neidhart, Bulldog and Brett, walk backstage. It's just like, it's when you know all the stuff around it and if you've seen uh, Wrestling with Shadows, Shadows, like 
that those three guys backstage before they go out. It's just like a really interesting slice yeah. of visual. Because Bulldog and Neidhart were pissed off. Oh, weren't they just? And they weren't the only ones. But we'll, we'll get on to that because we've got a match to get through here first. Uh, so Shawn Michaels attacks Brett at the bell and then uh, Hart starts fighting back, sends him to the outside. Uh, the match has not started because the referees are just like running out. And, like Sergeant Slaughter comes down to try and like break these two up and try and get them get back into the ring. And they just brawl everywhere. And the fans are all... When they go into the crowd the first time, the fans are all over them. Yeah. I, it's it's quite a, <laughs> a, a stupid idea, but I'm, I'm glad they did it because it's so exciting. But you need a lot of security in there to keep those... Like, the most rabid fans were opposite the hard cam. Yeah. That's where they went. And they just, like, you can't see them because the crowd just engulfs. I wouldn't be surprised if a few Canadians landed a few punches on Sean while he was in there. Yeah, I, do you know what? I wouldn't be surprised. And and it's such a lovely visual piece of storytelling because the first bit of the brawl is essentially, you're on my home turf. Yeah. This is, this is the home crowd advantage, quite literally. And that... Yeah, I, and then that kind of gives an excuse for Slaughter, more referees to run down, and Vince McMahon. Yeah, Vince McMahon comes out trying to convince them to go back to the ring and have this match. So I think that was, obviously that was part of the agenting of the match beforehand. Brought into the crowd, that will give us all an excuse to run down. Yeah. Little did Brett know. Little did Brett know. Uh, so Brett, they finally get into the ring and the match starts. Um, oh, Gerard Briscoe's down there too. Gerard Briscoe? Gerald. <laughs> Gerard. Stephen Gerard Briscoe. Gerard Briscoe. <laughs> That's a good accent, mate. Well done. Um, yes, yeah, so the match starts, uh, and so Brett starts choking him with a flag. I'm like, <laughs> mate, come on. <laughs> do, do that before the match starts, lads. There was also some suplexes on the concrete. Oh, up yeah. There. There was a, yeah, there was, this was a crazy brawl. It was a fantastic brawl, and Brett just knocks out a referee. Yeah. Like a, a proper punch. <laughs> Going by ref bumps. That referee is dead. <laughs> Um, HBK uh, hits the flying forearm for some great hit and then he gets that flag and he starts choking Brett which the crowd are so so against and he just starts goading these guys in the front oh row my God. and those lads look like they are ready for a fight they they look on the verge of a riot and later on you can see some security coming in and yes, telling you, them to oh, calm down yeah particularly because that's probably like yeah, okay, we might know what's coming next. So, uh, yeah, well. Well, we, 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 we don't know that for mm. sure, but I would imagine Vince was like, get security on those guys, because I think they're going to start fighting, in his mind being like, I'm about to screw yeah, that, yeah. the hero in the ring there. Hopefully, I'll confuse them into not fighting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, security is like completely holding them back. Uh, HBK star, uh, takes Brett out and they just start punching him, suplex into the steps, and then HBK... Breaks the Canadian flag and drives it mm. into Bret Hart. Uh, double sledge off the top rope, so Andy Datsun will love this match. Um, and then HBK just front face locks him into the ground and just starts like, I'm going to get you now. Then Bret, I'm going after the legs. And yeah. JR's just like, of course he goes after the legs. Like, that's what he needs to do. He needs to, like, this needs to stop being a fight. He needs to start working the Bret Hart style to lock in that sharpshooter and get this win. This, you know, obviously the finish happens when it does. This was an excellent match. Really and great. It, and it, it could have, like, I don't know what Brett had planned for the actual finish. I don't know if that's ever come out. It, it was, yeah, so they, he they would have reversed the, the sharpshooter and made the, 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 uh, the finish that Brett knew is that it was going to be a DQ. Right. That the referee was going to DQ uh, either, either man. Sure. But either way, 
he wasn't losing the title. Which is probably why they were do it, like going so crazy so the referee had no choice exactly. to DQ it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like this it's you know, Sean keeps cutting him off, cutting him off, cutting him off, and then Brett comes back and then, like you said, starts to have to wrestle as opposed to brawl. Uh, this is when you see the fans being talked to by security. He's got a figure four locked in through the ring post and then yeah. puts on another one inside. And, and some people at that point start chanting, Brett sold out. Because news of him leaving right. had leaked, but <clears throat> certainly not to the wider audience. Mm. You know, this is the, you know, the virgin days of the internet being a thing. People are only on AOL. Um, you know, or some people have got access to the Observer. But there is clearly a contingent that, no, Brett's leaving. And now we get a Brett axe handle off the top rope. But Sean pulls Earl Hebner, who's the referee, in front of him. And there is a slight ref bump. Considering how devastating a, a gust of air is to a referee, Earl takes a, a double axe handle from Bret Hart off the top rope, falls down, but then is up pretty quickly because Sean gets Brett in the sharpshooter. It go, he's in it for... Barely half a second, and Earl immediately calls for the bell and runs out of there. He bails. This is from The Observer. Hebner sprinted out a ring on the other side into the dressing room, through the dressing room, and into an awaiting car in the parking lot that already had the motor running that was going to take him to the hotel, where he'd be rushed out of town with his ticket home instead of staying to work the two raw tapings. He bolted. Yeah. And, you know, just, just as that finish, Bret Hart... I know that this has been said so many times before, but rewatching it again, it's just like, oh my God. Bret Hart in Canada tapping out one of the most humiliating ways to get defeated historically, opposed to like, a, or I guess it's I quit is yeah. the only worst way you can look to his own move. Yep. In his home. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it, it, it's quite something. It's, it is really. I've seen this finish a thousand times because this is WWF's biggest thing ever. Like, yeah. you know, this is what they always say. Like, there have been so many documentaries, so many people recapping the story. They've recreated this finish thousands oh upon thousands God. of times. Yeah. Hulk Hogan, or Vince Russo, I should say, loved recreating this finish as often as he could to be like, look, it's still real. Yeah. Um, and it never worked to this degree because this one is real. And it is so I, I don't know because you've seen it in serious when you watch the pay-per-view it's just really jarring because you don't have all the Vince McMahon stuff on the outside you see Brett spit on him mm. but you don't have Vince yelling at Earl to you know call for the bell you don't have all the slaughter stuff on the outside you don't have Brett trashing the place you don't have him writing WCW in the yes, air yeah. it's just this match finishes Hebner legs it Michaels looks so confused you see Brett spit. Gerald Briscoe pull Michaels out of the ring, give him the championship, and yell at him, hold that title up. Like He's like telling him, he's like, hold the title in the air. Shawn Michaels does. Pay-per-view goes off the air. Yeah. And it ends 20 minutes early. So that's... Yeah, because I was, I was looking out for... Because you see the spit, Brett spits, and then you see the hard cam, and you can see Vince from behind Vince like yeah. wiping his face. Because initially it looks like it missed, but... Yeah. Great shot, actually. Oh, yeah, it's pretty from, good. From and Brett. a good, good flemmy spit, too. Yeah. yeah. He really, really venomously did that. Oh, yeah. 
Um, but was that never? I, I, I guess all of that footage I've merged into this from that's wrestling exact, with shadows. That's exactly it, and and all of the documentaries that yeah. WWF themselves have done, and, and all the video packages they've done on the screw job that we've seen all of the other footage. Because like all that other stuff, like him writing in the air and, and you know WCW, that's all archive material mm. that they've used that was reported in the dirt sheets of being right. like this is what happened after wow. the match it's only the live crowd saw all of that oh stuff and like God. Brett's freak out and the rest of the Hart Foundation running out to, to try and console and be like <clears throat> I don't know what happened there and then we get all of the drama that happened afterwards the copies of that footage back in the I don't know how quickly it came out after that yeah. that footage but that must have been like gold. Seeing that for the first time yeah. after what I imagine would have been years. I guess it would have been in Wrestling with Shadows. And I wonder uh, if a couple it's of years later. And I wonder if it's what a lot of why some wrestlers think it's a work because they have forgotten what happened at the actual pay, what was shown on pay per view mm. and what has been seen since. Because like Scott Hall will tell you, like in interviews, <laughs> is like if this wasn't a work, they wouldn't have shown him on screen writing WCW in the air. But they didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't show that. It's just that has been seen. But Scott Hall has now sort of mm. like fake, like has merged memories together to be like, that's what ha- that's how the pay-per-view ends. It's almost like he worked himself <laughs> like, into a shoot, brother. So uh, Dave Meltzer would say of the match, as far as people worrying what would go down in the ring between the two, there was nothing but total cooperation. Hart got a few nipples. Excuse me. Hart got a few near falls before the referee bump with Earl Hebner, leading into uh, no doubt what will go down in wrestling history behind the scenes as one of the most famous finishes ever. Three and three quarter stars from Dave Meltzer for the match. Wow. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to give it a rating without a finish. I, I would almost say N.A. I, it's, it's hard. I, we didn't mention Triple H's down there, too. Yes. Yeah. And he is like... I, I don't know if you ever had this when you were young, but maybe your mate would get in a fight and you'd do the fight thing and then you'd... But, like, you'd walk off together and it's something so stupid, actually, mm. but you're treating it really seriously. Like, yeah, yeah, come on, let's do this, let's do this. Yeah. That's the expression I saw in Triple H's face. Yeah, totally. Right, so let's get into this this situation. Ooh. I've read a lot. I've read the Observer that came out after the pay-per-view. And I've read a couple of other Observers where Dave has gone into various different things. But I thought what we'll do is we will look at what the dirt sheets was say, were saying in the immediate aftermath. Mm, yeah. Because Meltzer's got the most detailed thing. You know, he's got the most detailed rundown. Very close friends with Brett. He was the one that WWF officials were calling to be like, here's the story that went down. Like he tells later on, he said the second person to call him was Bruce Pritchard wow. to say that like Brett wouldn't do business. Vince had no choice. Amazing that Bruce now devalues Meltzer. Oh, completely! Oh, like sake. it's it's a <clears throat> it's funny because I think that whole thing started out as a complete work mm. because there was a photo of them about a year after their pay, uh, after his podcast started and he started his old FDM nonsense of a photo of them at Wale Mania posing together and smiling with their arms around each other and being like, what a great old time we're having. <laughs> but I do think now that, that Bruce doesn't like him because uh, Meltzer called him a con man um, on one of his radio shows. And Bruce was like, that's unfair. Mm. Even though I think that Meltzer's probably correct. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so, so this all starts October 20th, 1996. Hunt- 96? Yes, because that's that was... over a year ago. Because that was when 
Bret Hart turned down the offer to join mm. WCW and out of loyalty signed a 20-year deal with the WWF. That's four times longer than what they offer now. Yeah. and yeah. Five years or nothing else. And the idea behind that was that he would wrestle for another couple of years and then would get an office job for right. the remainder of that contract. Uh, the money from WCW was way higher, but McMahon wanted Bret to be the top babyface in WWE. So he signed him to this very lucrative uh, 20-year deal. Um, but okay, so I just want to reiterate. McMahon wanted Bret Hart to be the top babyface in WWF. March 10th, 1997, Vince wants Bret Hart to turn heel. Hmm. And September 8th, 1997, less than one year after signing that deal, Vince talks to Brett about his contract and says he can't afford it. So how, because that's always the claim and, and you know, you, you've got to feel some empathy towards Vince McMahon in that position if he genuinely can't afford it. But is that, like, how true is that? I've always thought that's quite weird that you suddenly can't afford the top guy in your company when you seem to be approaching a boom period. Well, I was going to say, later on, he does approach him and say, I can now afford it. It was mm. just in that moment at that period of time, he could not afford that contract. But there are those that speculate that it's Michael's in Vince's ear saying, you can't afford this contract. You're paying him too much. We don't need him. <clears throat> yeah. yeah that's, because... what, that's what some wrestlers have said over the years. I just for, From what Vince, uh, Vince as a man seems like, I don't think he would admit weakness like that without genuinely really believing it. Mm. And that's a big thing to say to someone. So, And then to go back on it a couple of weeks later. Very, uh, a couple of months later. A couple of months. Um, so September 20th, same month, um, Bret Hart and the British Bulldog find out one hour before the show that Shawn Michaels will be winning the European title, which he never wanted, mm. in Birmingham, England. Oh. Now, in, now, in fairness, the pitch was they were going to build to a rematch in Manchester the following year where Bulldog would win the title back. Um, around this time, Michaels also said he would never work with anyone in the Hart Foundation other than the Bulldog. <laughs> what a guy. Uh, September. So that, that was the famous story where Bulldog had, uh, wasn't it a relative with a, a serious medical, medical condition and at ringside? dedicated the match to, to them. Before, and, they, before he knew he was going to lose. Yes. Yeah, because the plan was always, the, mm. the whole title was designed for Bulldog to win it in England in his home country of England, and be the European champion. But Shawn Michaels decided, no, 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 I think I should win it. And then he did, and then did nothing but take the piss out of the belts and say it was worthless. <laughs> Which is funny. Michaels never even lost that belt. He gave it to Triple H. Oh, and he gave, and what he said was the prestigious European title. He would always call it the prestigious European title in a really mocking manner. September 22nd, McMahon tells Brett they are going to intentionally breach his 20-year contract so he can go do business with WCW because they can't afford him. So how does one intentionally breach it? Well, they're just going to say, we're going to breach your contract because this is the only way that we can get you out of this contract. Right. So you can go and do business elsewhere. Now, Bret Hart confirmed this himself. He did an interview where he said, I didn't feel comfortable doing it. I felt like an old prisoner in a prison where I know all the guards and all the inmates and I have the best cell. Why would I want to move to a new prison where I don't know the guards and the inmates and I no longer have the best cell? It uh, I felt really bad after all the years working for the WWF. It seems like such a horrible situation because I don't think Bret wanted to go. No. I don't think Vince wanted him to go. I and, think, yeah. But for whatever reason, everything pushed them that way. Sure, Michaels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 
This is from The Observer. On that same day, during a meeting with Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and Vince McMahon, Michaels told both of them, point blank, he wouldn't do any jobs for anyone in the United States. That's Bret-related. That's like in the Hart Foundation. He just mm. basically said, I'm not going to job to you. I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to lose, yes. give a real parlance. Michaels later reiterated that statement to Bret Hart uh, in St. Paul when the two had agreed that for the good of the business, they'd work together. At the meeting, McMahon posed a scenario where the two of them would have their first singles match in Montreal, where Undertaker would interfere, causing a non-finish. This would lead to Bret Hart wrestling Undertaker at the um, December pay-per-view in Springfield, Massachusetts, where Michaels would interfere, causing Hart to lose the title as poetic justice, since his interference caused Bret to win the title in the first place. Then at the Royal Rumble in San Jose in 1998, that would be headlined by Undertaker versus Michaels. Which actually, ironically, would be, mm. you know, that actually would be the match of the Royal Rumble. Stuck to the plans. Yeah. but And, and by that point, Brett would have left. Yes. Brett yep. would leave after dropping the title. Well, to... at this point, he's still, he's still signed with, he's not negotiating with WCW. Mm. So at this point, he is still staying with the WWF. Oh. So the, it's on, just... on a lower money deal? No, no, no. Still on his 20-year oh, wow. deal. So at this point in time... <laughs> Brett is still with the WWF. Right. He's not leaving for WCW at Vince this hasn't had that conversation yet. Got you. Yes. So, uh, God, this is confusing. <laughs> and during that meeting, Hart told Michaels that he would be happy to put him over at the end of his run. But Michaels told Brett Hart flat out he would not return the favor. Lovely. Um, Michaels and Hart spoke about the subject again in October in San Jose, where once again Michaels told Bret Hart he was never going to do a job for him. Mm. So, we get to October 21st. McMahon asks Bret Hart to lose the title at Survivor Series, but promises he can win it back in December at their Degeneration X pay-per-view. Hart was reluctant, as Shawn Michaels had just told him, he won't do any jobs for him. Shawn Michaels told him, apparently teary-eyed, that he would do the job. I think the quote was something like, my mouth says stuff, my, my mouth says stupid things that my brain isn't really thinking. Or like, my, my stupid mouth gets me in more trouble than it should, than it should do. And, and Shawn Michaels was, you know, a total asshole at this time. But I think as it shows later, he, like, he, he was a, not a tormented soul, but there was good in him mm. that, you know, that came out after he... Like Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, um, but but at this time, like, so I could I could believe that like yeah. it's kind of a self destructive personality. And just because this this might sound like we are all on Brett's side on this, or at least on uh, this reporting, really, is because Michaels was a being a dick at the time. Brett and Meltzer's big source is probably Brett himself. And uh, well, we would later find out his biggest source was Cornette. Yes. Cornette told him this right, story, right. but um, because he told him off the records, Meltzer. That that's the whole story. Is like when Cornette said that I could publish that it was him mm. after he died, or if I die, then Alvarez does it. Yeah, but it was Cornette was basically his main source in all of this. Um, but Cornette didn't like Shawn Michaels either. So, <laughs> but in the interest of fairness and interest of clarity, although Shawn Michaels was refusing to put over Bret Hart, Bret Hart also refused to put over Triple H. They had a match together, and the design of that match was that that Triple H was going to beat him. And Brett got it overturned. Right. But he did put over Ken Shamrock, which we talked about mm. over at Alien's podcast, and also said that during all of this, when it came to dropping the belt, he would drop it to Shamrock, Austin, Undertaker, the Brooklyn Brawler, but not Michaels. Brooklyn Brawler's an odd one well, in that, in that conversation. He, I know, but he said that to, put, to say, I will put over oh, right. anyone, I see. but not Michaels. The, uh, the Triple H thing is... So, you know, uh, The Social Network, I rewatched it recently, hmm. and the, it's all kind of hinges, like that when uh, Mark Zuckerberg destroyed all his 
personal relationships. It just goes back to this one tiny thing where his business partner got into a fraternity that he didn't get into. Mm. And like that's the that's the sort of argument of the film. Yeah. I could totally see Triple H, the cerebral assassin that he is. Brett won't put me over. And then I know we always see Shawn Michaels is in Vince's ear, but Shawn Michaels is just kind of like a force of emotion. Yeah. I wouldn't say he's the master plotter. No, it's true. I could H. believe Triple H in Shawn Michaels' ear in Vince's ear. The long-standing story, and it's, it's in a lot of these observers as well, but the long-standing story is it was Triple H that told Shawn Michaels in no circumstances should Brett win in his last match in this company. Mm-hmm. You have to win this match. And that is apparently is what was spurring Michaels on to believe. Yeah, you know, you're right. Brett can't win this match. He's not allowed to leave this match as champion. And I've always... And the, it, it's, it's always a strange dynamic, the clique who were by their own admission on a heavy amount of drugs. Apart from Triple H. Well, exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, I see what you're saying. Mm. So if, if a lot of people are under a lot of influence, it's, it's fair, and you're the sober person in the room, and you have consistently pro- proven in other parts of your career that you are this political mastermind. Yeah. What a what a situation to find yourself in yeah. as the only sober person in a room full of very high profile drug addicts at the yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. This is from The Observer. The personal problems between uh, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, which had become legendary in the business, resurfaced once again when the two and McMahon made an agreement to work together, but to leave their respective families out of their interviews. Oh my God. It took just one week for Michaels to do an interview about uh, Stu Hart being dead but walking around Calgary because his body and brain hadn't figured that out yet. Oh, my God. Which is a great line. <laughs> but good grief. Wasn't there the stuff with Sonny that Brett alluded that, to that as well? That was earlier, the, that earlier, was earlier in, the year. in the year. Yeah, the Sunny right. Days promo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, October 24th, McMahon tells Brett they can now afford his contract mm-hmm. because business is on the up. Thanks really to Steve Austin. But the business is on the up again. And this was good news for Brett because WCW had not made a serious offer and he didn't want to leave. Uh, upon hearing- Why would you? I, I genuinely believe that. Brett seems to be a very loyal, stubborn person. Okay, so to clarify, just to recap uh, this, in September, Vince told Brett, you go do business with WCW. In October, he then said, I can now afford you. And Brett's like, brilliant, WCW have not made me a serious offer. A few days later, hearing that Brett was going to stay in the WWF, Eric Bischoff made a last-minute big-money deal. (laughs) What a businessman. Um, So, November 1st, Brett Hart had until midnight to make a decision. Mm. He didn't want to leave. He asked McMahon to make him a better offer, not financially, but storyline. Because he wanted to stay. He just said, I want you to tell me that you've got plans. What am I doing for the next year? Because he did want to turn babyface. Like he, this was a, he didn't want to turn heel in the first place, but it worked so well. But he does want to end his run. And he is thinking about retiring. He does want to end his run as a babyface. So what is the long-term trajectory for me to turn and finish up my career? Per, like, perfectly. Well, like, what an what a, what a honorable thing to do, yeah. I would argue. McMahon called back and said, I don't have any plans for you, but I still want you to drop the title at Survivor Series. <sighs> this is from the Wrestling Observer. He then called back a couple of hours later. So, here's the direct quote. Vince then presented a scenario to Bret Hart, presenting it in a way to get Bret Hart to stay, but obviously designed to get Hart to take the WCW offer. And this is why a lot of people think this is all Michaels in, but as we just said then, more likely Triple H was, you know, maneuvering. He wanted Michaels to win the title in Montreal. 
at the December pay-per-view, they wanted to do a final four match where he, Michaels, Undertaker, and Ken Shamrock would wrestle for the title that Michaels would win again. Then at the Royal Rumble, the two would have a ladder match, which Shawn Michaels would win. On Raw in Fresno, California, Bret Hart would open the show and say that if he couldn't beat Michaels and win the title that night, he would retire from wrestling, and in that match, he would regain the title. Then in Boston at WrestleMania, he dropped the title to Austin. Hart looked at that scenario of four major losses with only one win before his midnight deadline, gave official notice to the WWF, and signed the contract with WCW had sent over with the agreement that all three parties, that word would not leak until after Survivor Series. And the reason why he looked at that scenario with... Um, all these losses is because Shawn Michaels had told him, I'm not doing any you know, jobs for you. So you could do all of these losses and then still never win the title at the end of it. Mm. I just don't think... And I, but, you know, as, he didn't believe it. Well, as Meltzer points out, that, that scenario, it almost feels like it's designed to make Brett take the deal. I, I mean, hearing that story, I've, I've heard worse. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you win. It's like you're beaten down, beaten down, beaten down. Brett doesn't... When does sorry, sorry say those again? There was the four way. So, so he loses at Survivor Series. He loses at December pay per view, the Degeneration X one. But, he then loses at the Rumble and then wins it on Raw. But how many times is he pinned in all that? Well, that that doesn't say. It just says that he loses all of those. Because like the the four way, he could you know not be the one who gets pinned. And yep. I could see a really good version of that story where you know Bret Hart. He's at the. I've been been all these times. I put my career on the line tonight on Raw, mm-hmm. and then he wins it back. That could have been an all-time great Raw moment, and then he drops it to Stone Cold to put him over. What a story that is from their their Wrestle- previous encounter, their WrestleMania match the year prior. Yeah. So bearing in mind in all of this, Brett still wants to stay. Yeah. But actually, as he just said, then he signed the WCW deal because he didn't think that they had a long-term plan for him. I think that's a good story. Uh, in November, McMahon suggests that Bret Hart lose the title at Survivor Series in a screw job. Mm. Hart could then blame Vince McMahon for the loss on TV and punch him out. Hart would uh, say that he dropped the belt up in return, said, let's not do that. I will drop the belt to Shawn Michaels in Madison Square Garden, because they were doing a show in Madison Square Garden, just not in Canada. Uh, and he had a contract that gave him, quote, reasonable control. That was part of the 20-year deal. McMahon argued that's not reasonable. Hmm. Is is the MSG show taped or? It's a house show. See, that is awkward. <laughs> you know, it's but he your also world said they title. would lose it at the December show. Yes. Yeah, so, that's that's the real yeah, thing. Though. Because that's yeah. Okay, so <coughs> here we go. Uh, this is from the Observer. The two argued about the finish in Montreal and the legalities of their respective positions all day Sunday and well into the night before finally agreeing to do a DQ finish at Survivor Series. Then in Springfield in the final four match, Michaels would win the title. So Michaels would win the title at the December show, which actually would make sense. Is the Degeneration X branded show? Mm. Uh, Brett would then go out on Raw in Portland and give a farewell interview as a babyface to the WWF fans, put the company and McMahon over as big as possible. He would apologize to the American fans and try to reasonably explain his actions as a way to end his 14-year association with the WWF on the highest note possible. Something largely unheard of in pro wrestling, so that all parties and the fans could come out of it uh, with his legacy and the company with a good feeling. Technically, there was a problem in that his WCW contract began shortly before that. So, Bret Hart called Bischoff, who then presented the scenario, agreed uh, and to allow him to work through till the 8th of December with WWF. Hmm. November 4th, 1997. Brett call, Vince called Brett to tell him that he changed his mind. Instead, Brett would win and HBK would win the December show by cheating. By this point, Brett was going to WCW and that had been reported by the Observer and the Torch. So the news of him going had leaked out. And I love this. 
WWF Canada put out a press release saying it was propaganda put out by WCW. Well, discrediting the Observer and the Torch being like, nope, it's fake news. And they then tried to play that up as often as they could, that it's just the dirt sheets lying to you. The more things change. Indeed. November 5th, 1997. Now the news was out, Vince wanted Brett to drop the belt as soon as possible because he didn't want Eric announcing on TV that they'd signed their world champion. Brett said that he told Eric not to and Bischoff was on a hunting trip, but unreachable. So Vince is trying to get, Brett's trying to call Eric and say like, don't make this announcement. Eric's not answering the phone. Hart said that he would drop the title on any show after Survivor Series. November 6th, WWF had been telling press and fans that Hart had not signed with WCW, just that he was, quote, exploring other options. Tiger Ali Singh then did an interview where he said Brett was leaving for WCW. Oh, goddammit. <laughs> so, November 7th, 19, uh, 1997. Some WWF wrestlers believe that Michaels is pulling the strings and manipulated McMahon to get rid of Bret Hart because he doesn't like him. In fairness, Hart had admitted himself in an interview that he'd stopped watching Raw because he doesn't like the show. <laughs> November 8th, 1997. At a house show in Detroit, Hart was uneasy about a double cross, so he asked her Earl Hebner to be the referee. This is a quote from the Arresting Observer. Hart and Hebner were genuinely close friends for years. Hart said that he'd use his influence to get Hebner to be the referee in that house show match because he wanted someone in the ring that he could trust. Hebner said he understood the situation and told Hart, I swear on my kids' lives that I would quit my job before double-crossing you. November 9th. This is now the night of the show. Hart tells McMahon the finish will be a DQ and he'll hand the title to him on Raw, saying he was leaving. That's Bret Hart's new pitch. I mean, that, that is completely unreasonable. Completely. Like, that's, that's Brett being really stubborn. And I imagine things have deteriorated by this. I mean, you know, he's asking guys to, to referees matches because he doesn't trust anyone else. Yeah. So he's, he, that's him being difficult. Very, very much so. So, from The Observer. As they were putting spots together, Pat Patterson came in. He had a suggestion for a high spot in the match as a false finish. I actually really like this as a finish. Mm. Well, this sounds like a brilliant bit. The best finish man in, the, in, in history. This sounds absolutely wicked as well. Get a load of this. There would be a ref bump. Michaels would put Hart in the, his own sharpshooter. Hart would then reverse the hold. Hebner would still be down at this point and not see Michaels tap out. Hart would release the hold to revive Hebner. Michaels would then hit him when he turned around with sweet chin music. A second referee, Mike Yoda, would haul ass to the ring and begin the count. A few paces behind him, Owen Hart, Bulldog, and Nightheart would run down to the ring as well. Kyoda would count one, two, and whoever got to the ring first, likely Owen, would drag Kyoda out of the ring. But just when they think they've saved the day, Hebner recovers and starts the count, and Brett kicks out at two. Oh, that's a great spot. Brilliant, right? That sounds amazing. Oh, Pat Patterson. what What a brain. And then that would set the pace for five more minutes of near falls that would oh. end up in a disqualification ending. Oh, that's an amazing idea. Yeah. And actually, watching the match back, you can see that when Michaels gets him into the sharpshooter, Brett is already reversing mm. the holes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's very key that, that this sounds like that is likely the what Brett thought was going to happen. Before the show started, both Vader, with his Japanese experience, and Davey Boy Smith told Bret Hart to watch himself. He was warned not to lay down and not allow himself to be put in a compromising position. Oh, my God. He was told, kick out at one, not two. Whoa. And do not and not allow himself to get put into any submission holds. Oh, my God. When <laughs> Vader is telling you that. <laughs> Jesus. 
Bret Hart recognized the possibility of the situation, but thoughts uh, regarding a double cross were more along the lines of always protecting himself in case Michaels tried to hit him with a sucker punch when he left himself open. The idea of being put into a submission for one of the near falls while work, uh, working spots would be dangerous for him, um, but that's something he would w- worry about normally. Uh, but he put it out of his mind because he had Hebner in the ring as the referee. So, the match happens, the finish happens, Hebner legs it. After the match, Vince and his inner circle locked themselves in Vince's office. Oh, my God. Brett first confronted Michaels. This is from The Observer. Brett first confronted Michaels, who swore he had nothing to do with it. Michaels, obviously afraid that Bret Hart would punch him out right there, told him that he gets heat for everything that happens, but this time it wasn't his fault, and he was as mad as Hart about the finish. He said that he didn't want to win the belt that way, was disgusted by what happened, and to prove it, he would refuse to bring the belt out on Raw or say anything bad about Bret Hart the following night. And Bret Hart said, that's fine, I trust you on this. You'll be judged by your actions on Raw. We'll come on to that shortly. Undertaker was furious, pounding on Vince's locked oh door. Oh my god. You would be breaking <laughs> it inside that room. Taker, Vader, and Bret Hart. <laughs> When he came out to talk with him, Undertaker told him, in no uncertain terms, he needed to go and apologize to Bret Hart right now. What a legend Taker is. He had to interrupt his dominoes game for this. Um, So, Vince went to Bret Hart's dressing room where Bret had just come out of the shower. So, I do want you to remember, Bret's hardly likely naked during all of this. Um... Smith answered the door and Hart said he didn't want to see him. Vince and Shane McMahon came in with Sergeant Slaughter and Gerald Briscoe anyway. Vince started to apologize, saying he had to do it because he couldn't take the chance of Bret Hart going to WCW without giving the belt back and he couldn't let Bischoff go on television the next night and announce that Hart was coming while he was still the champion and it would kill his business. Which is, I, I totally buy into that and I think that is the genuine human reason why Vince did what he did. But it has also come out since that WWF and WCW were in legal battle <coughs> over this sort of thing. WCW were being sued mm. because of the Medusa thing that happened where she dropped the title. So Eric Bischoff, in a legal battle, knew he couldn't have Brett show up with the championship because that would damage their case. But when, like, would that stop them? Okay. That's that, like, if you're Vince and you're, it's already happened with Medusa, you've seen the Scott Hall and Kevin Nash thing happened, and there was another legal battle with the Outsiders, yep. and, uh, you know, implying that they were there on WWS part. This was a war, and I don't think Vince trusted either Bischoff or Ted Turner's very deep pockets, much deeper than Vince's at this time, that, you know, the American legal system, and unfortunately most legal systems in the world, are set up to... The, the person with the most money wins. But again, and this has also come out since, Bret Hart's WCW contract didn't start until December. He was still with the WWF until mid And that's why Bret's not on Nitro the following night after Survivor Series, which is why this story falls apart, or Vince's version of events falls apart. Bret was never able to show up the following night. The fact that he didn't show up the following night should be proof that he couldn't show up the following night. Uh, anyway... So, uh, Hart shot back that he had no problem losing the belt and told McMahon that he was going to dry off and get his clothes and told McMahon, if you're still here, I'm going to punch you out. Hart called McMahon a liar and a piece of S and talked about having worked for him for 14 years, only missing two shows the entire time, being a role model for the company in the industry, and this was his payback. McMahon said, uh, McMahon tried to say in that 14 years, this is the first time he'd ever lied to him, and Hart rattled off 15 lies over the last year alone (laughs) without even thinking about it. 
Those in the dressing room watching were stunned listening to Hart rattle them off and McMahon not offering a comeback. Hart got dressed and twice told McMahon to get out. Hart got up and a scuffle started with them locking up like a wrestling match. Hart broke free and threw a punch to the jaw that would have knocked him anyone de- uh, would have knocked down a rhino. One punch, KO, 40 seconds. I love that they locked up. Do you think they did a test of strength? <laughs> they did the international? international? Yeah. Um, McMahon growled like he was going to get up, but he had no legs. Shane McMahon jumped on Bret Hart's back, and Davy Boy Smith jumped on Shane's back to pull him off. Not realizing there would be trouble, Smith had already taken off his knee brace and hyperextended his knee in the process of pulling oh, Shane McMahon off. No. Hart nearly broke his hand from the punch. McMahon's jaw was thought to be fractured or broken. Good grief. Bret Hart asked Vince if he was, was going to screw with uh, all the money he's owed, and a groggy Vince McMahon said, no. He told Shane and Briscoe to get that piece of S out of here and glared at both at them. Told them if they tried anything, they'd suffer the same result. In dragging McMahon out, someone accidentally stepped on his ankle, injuring that as well. Who, who stepped on whose ankle? Uh, someone stepped on Vince's ankle. <laughs> what a cluster F. Yeah, and a lot of this we know because it's in Wrestling With Shadows. Mm. Corroborated with video evidence. Oh, Pritchard, when he talks about Wrestling With Shadows in this podcast, hates that documentary because... That documentary proves a lot of the WWF's lies about this story, which is that Brett present like Vince presented the idea of doing the of doing this finish, and then it's like no, that audio shows that he never suggested that mm. at all. And Bruce Bruce is like that documentary, that wire, that wire that uh, Brett was wearing. That's what they keep calling it, the wires. Like no, he was mic'd up for a documentary. He wasn't wearing a wire. Anyway, so there is a lot of mobster. I mean, it was in the gang rules time. It's, yeah, yeah, it's. Anyway, Let's see why they call it the wire. Earl told someone at the hotel he had no idea what was happening. So the story goes that Earl Hebner was told just before he went out the curtain. Oh, what a position to be in. So he was about to go out to the ring. Gerald Briscoe told him when he applies the sharpshooter, call for the bell. Oof. And get the hell out of here. There's a car waiting out for oh you out God. back. Oh, my God. November 10th. So what would a- you have done? I mean, I, like, you know, the, the popular thing is to crap on Earl. But there's a very human dilemma there. Yeah. Your, your best mate. They told him you'll be fired if you don't do it. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. It's, it's a an, an really awful situation for him to be put in. Granted, he's capitalized off this by stealing loads of T-shirts. Sorry, selling his own T-shirts. <laughs> Um, okay, November 10th, this is a couple of days after the pay-per-view. Wrestling Observer. According to two WWF wrestlers, roughly 95% of the rest of the company were planning on boycotting Raw, the taping after the night over wow. what happened. But as the day went on, the talk simmered down. Hart told the, those who asked him that since they had children and mortgages, they shouldn't risk breaching their contracts and should go to the show. What a, what a stand-up guy. However, Owen Hart, uh, Davey Boy Smith, Jim Neidhart and Mick Foley were so upset, they all flew home. I love that Mick Foley's part of that crew. You know, all of them yeah. are Heart Foundation. Foley is just well, yeah. a lovely guy. Vince Russo tells the story in one of his interviews. Vince Russo has got... he uh, In various different interviews, Vince has taken credit for it, <laughs> uh, said that he never came up with the idea, and has also said that he had no idea it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So he's got various different versions. His most, recent one, his most recent one is that he came up with the idea. Even though it's, at this point now, it's pretty sh- we're pretty certain it's Jim Cornette that came up with the idea. But Vince is also... As a joke, wasn't it? It was Cornette proposed the idea as... This is, like, this is how it's been done in the past. Yeah. This is the way we could He gave it. a historical example, but never thought it would be done. Yeah, there was two. One from the 1920s and the Wendy Richter mm-hmm. Spider Lady uh, incident, which was Wendy Richter wasn't going to sign a new contract. They sent out the fabulous Moolah as 
the spider lady and she legit pinned her even though Richter kicked out the referee just still counted three yeah. and she unmasked to reveal it was the fabulous Moolah um, so yeah so Vince has taken very seriously but Vince Russo said in one of his shoot interviews that on that night after it all happened he was just standing there sort of like watching this chaos unfold Mick Foley walked up to him and just looked at him and said you should be ashamed of yourself and walked away and Vince said to oh. him that's like God saying you should be ashamed of yourself oh. And he said it was one of the most heart, like crushing things he's ever happened. Oh, oof. Anyway, I right. feel crushed. I don't even like Vince Russo. <laughs> so back to the Observer. Many were saying they could no longer work for someone who would do something like that. While rumors were abound that about Hart Smith and Foley all quitting at press time, it appears none of the three truly knew their future, but they had all had a bitter taste in their mouth for the company. So remember what uh, Michael said. That he were, you know, he wouldn't go out with the belt, and he wouldn't mm. say anything about it. Um, on Raw, Shawn Michaels opened the show with the belt, bragging about being Bret Hart in his own country with his own move. <sighs> I mean, yeah. pro wrestling's gonna pro wrestle. <laughs> I know, right? So that is the Observer after the events. You know, many other things have come out over the years, as we've just said. Various different people have taken credit for it. Various different people have said who knew, who didn't. Um, as far as we can tell, the sort of like the at most, the people that knew were Vince Cornette Russo, because those three were in the meeting when the idea was pitched. But they didn't know it was going to happen. They knew of the idea. They didn't know it was going to happen. Yes. Um, Shawn Michaels, although he denied it at the time, uh, went on WWE Confidential and said that he did know. In actually, the time, says also he said he came up with the finish, even though I think that's been the most poo-pooed idea that he came up with the finish. In that Brett Sean DVD that they did, which is terrific, mm. uh, didn't he also admit to knowing there as well? Yes, I think he's, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, it was like in 2003, I think, was when they did uh, WWE Confidential. Mm. And that was when he said that he knew yeah. after the five years previous saying, well, you know, the six years previous saying he didn't know. Um, Triple H and China. They said that they likely knew. Triple H knew for sure. And China likely knew because she was dating Triple H at the time. Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson were the people that knew. Because Pat, um, Gerald Briscoe, the night before, had shown Michael's self-defense moves. In case, yes. In case Brett tried anything on him. <laughs> because Michael's is not an actual fighter, whereas Brett is. Mm. And Gerald Briscoe is just like, I'm a legit tough guy. <laughs> I'll show you how to fight. Um, so then Dave Meltzer did a write-up about the Viceland documentary that came out this year, which is where Cornette went into the full detail about it, which is why Dave has now said, yeah, it was Cornette that told me all of these stories. Um, and I said that I would never release his name until I died or until that person died. And said, yeah, it was, it was Jim Cornette. Mm. Um, so uh, the Wrestling Observer, um, a number of reporters who have seen the piece hated it, largely feeling there were too many con men involved and the key elements of the story weren't presented. Plus, Scott Hall added nothing. And his <laughs> idea that it was all the work that everyone, including Hart, were in on it was preposterous based on depositions taken later. Um, Billy Gunn and Road Dogg as well, in their um, shoot interview after they left WWE, they said it was a work as well. They are adamant that it was a work. A lot of wrestlers are adamant it's a work. Um... Right. It's funny because probably the second person in WWF management who called me after the show was Bruce Pritchard, who just said that Brett had refused to do business, the situation sucked, but Vince had no other choice. The other key point to this story of McMahon coming up with the idea after idea after idea to get Hart to lose to Michael and he couldn't agree on anything is not exactly true. More likely, it was simply the stress of the wrestling war and McMahon feeling the need to get the belt off Hart as soon as possible in any way possible. Mm. 
Michaels and Triple H were approached by McMahon. Triple H told Michaels that Hart was leaving the company and under no circumstances should he lose to the guy leaving the company. McMahon had to go back to Hart and tell Michaels once again, uh, tell Brett, once again, Michaels had refused to lose to him. At that point, it would have almost been impossible for Hart, who had creative control, something Michaels didn't, to agree to lose to him. Uh, Key when Pritchard would talked about how they all thought uh, on the day of the show um, McMahon would be able to talk Hart into losing. The reality was he never asked. So that's always been their thing. He asked um, yeah. Brett to lose, but he never did because that was the wire incident. Mm. Um, and in fact, actually, that transcript is in the December 21st, 1998 Observer, if you want to go and uh, look into that. Uh, the way the story was told to me after it happened was McMahon suggested the Moolah Richter finish, which is what we talked about uh, earlier. Um, the problem is, with that finish, Hart would immediately know that Shawn Michaels was in on it. Cornette brought that up. Hart mm. and Michaels had gotten into a legitimate fight in the dressing room in Hartford months earlier, which didn't go well for Michaels. Mm-hmm. Cornette noted that the absolute worst thing possible was for Hart to get screwed and then have him think uh-huh. Michaels was involved and attack him for real yeah, and beat yeah. him up and then go to WCW. It would kill the title and hurt Michaels as a headliner and make Hart the hottest wrestler in the country and be viewed as the real WWF champion while in, w- while in WCW. In 1991, when Ric Flair never lost the WCW title and went to the WWF, WCW business plummeted with the idea that WWF had the real champion. That is a fascinating take and, and probably one that in that era would have totally come to pass. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's just, Cornette, what, what a mind. Unfortunately, he hasn't you know, <laughs> puts his foot in it a lot. But what, oh, yeah. what a wrestling mind. Uh, you'll love this bit. Cornette also suggested putting Ken Shamrock in the match and have him win the title for real. <laughs> because essentially, like, Shamrock will just win. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Well, that just shows to me that they were just chucking out ideas. Yeah. But here's, if you wanted to do it, here's how, here's how you could do it. They also say that it's not sure if Sergeant Slaughter knew. Uh, about the finish because Slaughter was there at ringside um, they just not they are a lot of the suggestions was that Slaughter was there because he was a legit tough guy he was there in case anything got out of hand and he could just get in the ring and sort them out that was that's the only reason Slaughter was there but as far as a lot of the stories go he didn't know what the finish was well he he was only a kayfabe authority figure he was never part of these meetings yeah. or, or circles uh, both Hebner brothers knew but not until the last possible second so that neither would have the time to warn Brett since Brett and Earl wow. were friends perhaps Earl could have warned Brett in the ring but it would have been obvious and he would have been fired god that is just such an awful situation really makes you feel for Earl well maybe you, you I- haven't even got time to think about what you're going to do Here's another one for Earl Hebner. Okay. On Busted Open Radio this year, when asked if it was work, said he's been thinking about it for 20 years and now thinks it's a work. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got go. anything to say on that. <laughs> it's not, I, I think it's quite clear it isn't a work. Yeah. Um, so there's a, one of the things I wanted to read. It's like about. the moon landing. Like, uh, you know, the mo- we did go to the moon. Yes. I, I, it's kind of frustrating that we have to debate flat earth and stuff, but there the will be people who always want to believe in the more fantastical explanation. So let's clarify when, who we think knew. Uh, for years, Brett believed that Patson had to be on it. Patson always denied it. Cornette, in speaking this week, said that there were the names that everyone uh, said that there were names everyone knew were in on it because it came out historically. The Hebners at the last second, Vince McMahon, Gerald Briscoe, Shawn Michaels, and Triple H. He didn't know about Slaughter and wasn't sure about Bruce Pritchard, uh, Bruce Pritchard rather, who from that day until now has denied knowing. And the reality is there's no reason for him to know and they wanted to keep the number of people who knew down. Mm. 
He did also name Pat Patterson as one of the people that knew. Cornette believes that Patterson didn't know uh, for reasons. Sorry, that Patterson didn't know. Uh, believes that Pat Patterson didn't know for a few reasons. First, Patterson would lose all respect for the role uh, from at least some of the talent, and more because Patterson was friends with both Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and had been a key person who pushed Hart again in the championship level push in the first place. In addition, Cornette believes Patterson would have tried very hard to talk McMahon out of it. The other name in, que uh, in question was China, who was part of the DX group at the time with Triple H and Michaels and was Triple H's girlfriend. The belief by most is that she didn't know mm. okay so that's to clarify so i i, I missed it with that. i thought she was one of the, i i think she might have known yeah, i mean well, there's every just, chance just, that she didn't just on the basis that couples tend to share pretty much everything yeah but i could also see triple h being the sort of person who likes to keep things secret yeah so i could i could totally see a version where he doesn't tell his girlfriend uh, Cornette was watching the match completely unaware of the fact that McMahon or someone had related Pat Patterson to get the spot in the match, the sharpshooter spots. Cornette uh, saw them go into the sharpshooter and freaked out. Then he saw the finish and thinking that somehow it would be linked to him, got out the building as fast as he could, speeding away, even ahead of David Earl Hebner. Wow. As it turns out... Sounds like wacky races. As it turned out, it was never linked to him. Ah, okay. The TV people, so this is again about the pay-per-view, were not told the to finish, but were told to go off the air as soon as it was over, as soon as it was over, without being told why. Uh, but the air is that uncertainty of Hart's reaction, um, uh, which included handwriting WCW in the air and breaking some expensive equipment at ringside after the show went off the air. The fear was Hart knocking out Michaels or in some way beating him up before they rushed Michaels out of the ring. That's why when it's over, Michaels looked at Vince and acted like he was even madder than Hart was. Michaels was told to always deny that he was in on it for mm. fear of uh, under heated circumstances that someone might think to take a shot at him later, whether it be a Hart family member or an irate friend. Still, a mutual, uh, a mutual friend of Kevin Nash and myself told me the next night that Nash knew Michaels was in on it. Other friends of Michaels said... Uh, uh, said since denied uh, to them until coming clean some years later on an episode of WWE Confidential. He's since admitted in several interviews, including a sit-down with Hart, where Hart went after him with a point after point of what happened and that painted Michaels in a bad light, and Michaels denied nothing, admitting to most, and said that he'd forgotten other things that, brought, uh, that Hart brought up. So... The story that has always been that Vince feared that Brett would leave as champion, take the belt, and appear on Nitro the next day as champion. It's been said so often that the company, including wrestlers who were told that as the explanation they didn't want it, and it became a fact in the company. I can't tell you how many people told me that Brett's plan was to fly to Memphis and appear on Nitro with the belt, and mm -hmm. thus, Vince had no other choice. Of course the story is BS. Hart was planning on going to Ottawa the next day for Raw, although once he punched Vince, breaking his hand in the process, he flew back home to Calgary. Just the fact he wasn't on Nitro the next day should invalidate that story, but for for whatever reason, it persisted for decades. Well, I think you could have Eric Bischoff still say, we've signed the champion. He'll be here yeah. in two weeks or three weeks. Indeed, yeah. And, and run a vignette or something. Um, I wanted to read this last piece here because I thought it was um, very, very interesting. So actually, you know what we talked about how uh, earlier that, that um, report was that 95% of the locker room were really unhappy, and but Vince quelled things down. So Meltzer goes into a bit more detail about that in this issue, where he said, Vince did tell everyone in the dressing room that Hart had refused to lose and took the punch to save the company, portraying himself as the hero in this situation. Oh, wow. He said Hart was going to go on Nitro with the belt. With that explanation, the generally furious wrestlers, and I heard from several Sunday night after the pay-per-view, that they were mad, talking about quitting, quelled down and understood. Under those circumstances, if that was true, Vince was justified. It's just that it wasn't true. My God. So this is the other. This is the last bit I want to read from the, these observers because I think this is absolutely fascinating. 
In 2005, WWF were planning on doing a hit piece DVD on Bret Hart, similar to The Destruction of the Ultimate Warrior. They already taped segments with Hulk Hogan burying Bret Hart along with several <laughs> others. They even got Roddy Piper to do so, which personally hurt Bret Hart because he thought they were friends, although Hart did not hold a grudge against Piper for doing so. As the negotiations were going on, basically to get Bret Hart involved and instead do a positive piece on the DVD, Marcy Engelstein, the assistant at the time to Hart, came to Stanford, Connecticut to help with setting things up. While she was there, she saw Shane McMahon, who said she'd known, uh, who she'd known for some time. Everyone was friendly, and Shane noted to her how much they all respected Bret and were glad he was going to cooperate the new documentary but noted that his father had no choice given brett was going to go to nitro the next day with the belt she was amazed that eight years later he still believed that mm. she told him that wasn't the case and all the reasons it couldn't happen but by that point the story being the way had become wwe religion it's the one explanation where vince was the good guy and completely justified even if vince of all people having been in all the legal battles over the belt in the flair and medusa cases and the ongoing lawsuit with w- wcw knew it couldn't possibly happen wow and that is the montreal screwjob we've solved it folks (laughs) yeah so if you're still confused that's because i never i don't think we're ever going to know all of the the moving parts in this but i think that the broad line is brett didn't want to lose in canada vince was afraid that wcw were going to announce they had the real champion even though he knew brett couldn't go on the show and had basically was in the middle of a war. I think there's that sentence there earlier in the way he said Vince was had the stress of a wrestling war and just knew he had to get the belt off mm. of him any way possible. And that's what led to this situation. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a carny move. Yeah. Um one to to not do it would have I I do believe would have been a business risk for Vince McMahon. Uh and he he chose the morally awful way to go about it. But, you know, was was that worth it to avoid the risk of potentially losing this wrestling war? I, I, I don't know. And it, like we said, it, it fueled the boom period. Yeah, it did. And, like, can you imagine if Survivor Series had been in Detroit? None of this would have happened. Mm. Like, it's just the fact that this one pay-per-view was well, in Canada. Well, I don't know if we can say that either. Because I, I get I don't want to lose it in Canada. But... Would Brett have then found another way to go, I don't want to lose to Sean at Survivor Series, you know? Yeah, okay, yeah, maybe. See, like, Brett, like, Brett is very, very difficult. I think that's become oh, yeah, clear that's very, yeah, yeah. over the years. Uh, but, you know, Sean was more difficult. It's, no, it's not like Brett is blameless, but I think he... he in the blame game, he is a very minor, minor part of it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's, you know... Vince made the call at the end of the day. Vince made the call at the end of the day. Well, now that we've gone through all of that, what did you think of Survivor Series 1997? You know what? I (laughs) thought it was an excellent second half of the show and historically one of the most important things ever to happen in wrestling. So you know what? You know, it was rough. It wasn't terrible. I didn't hate it as much as you did that first half. But from Kane Mankind onwards, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I'm in a great... I thought the first half was rough as asses and quite as I said it took me three days to watch about ten minutes of this show half an hour of this show um, so I did not like the opening uh, half but as you said from Kane Mankind onwards I actually had a really good fun I thought it was a really good main event up until the finish yeah I mean to give it even more credit it is only the first hour that's problematic 
you've got an hour 40 after that. Kane Mankind. Yeah, that first hour, though, does feel like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like three days. <laughs> Kane's first match, right? Mm-hmm. Kane versus Mankind. That's a great... I, I really enjoyed Love that Love that match. Um, Nation of Domination. It's it's the genesis of Rocky versus Shamrock, really. Uh, and just Rock being really over. Austin versus Hart. Short match, but, you know, very significant win for Austin. And then you got Michaels versus Hart, yeah. which has all the, the history attached to it and was a really good match until the end. I think, you know... Definitely go and watch this pay-per-view, but just skip the first hour. It is the most historically relevant pay-per-view of the last 30 years. Mm. You know, you can, argue, you can argue WrestleMania because that really started the, the rock and wrestling and put WWF into this big national stage. Could have completely bankrupted Vince, but it turned out to work. You know, it was the gamble that paid off. But this one pay-per-view, and in fact, you know, this one main event changed the wrestling landscape. Yeah. And I reiterate again, WCW deserve to die because they never capitalized on it. <laughs> We're not saying we wanted it to die. We're saying it deserved to die based on all the mistakes. Exactly. So that is all oh. we've got time for on this. What a, a, a deep a dive. It was a fun one. So, well done on all that research, by the way. Thank that you very was, much. Uh, that was very comprehensive. Thank you very much. Um, so, I mean, the only other one, uh, one I wanted to talk about was Hulk Hogan's uh, thoughts on the screw job, where he oh said God. that it took place uh, at WrestleMania in a different country. <laughs> well, Bret Hart was supposed to uh, lose to Shawn Michaels, but I think WrestleMania, whatever the hell it was, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, 16 or 17, I don't know, <laughs> where all the fans were yelling, Bret screwed Bret. Bret told Vince McMahon, I'm not losing to Shawn Michaels in Canada. And they went out there, and Shawn Michaels pulled a fast one on Bret Hart and held him down and pinned him, and Bret couldn't do anything about it. And the so-called excellence of execution that was supposed to be the greatest wrestler of all, little teeny Shawn Michaels held him down and embarrassed Because Hulk Hogan does not care about anything else that's not Hulk Hogan. Uh, but yeah, so that's all we've got time for on this show. December's up next. Um, I don't know, Armageddon's maybe? Is Final Battles. Starcade. Mm. We could get a big Starcade in there. Mate, if you want to talk about terrible finishes, you could do Starcade. We haven't done Starcade 97 yet, have we? I don't think that's going to win. <laughs> With all the Sting stuff? It was my first proper video for WrestleTalk With in the Nick new Patrick, era. Patrick, yeah. Bret Hart's involved there. I mean, that would be a nice follow-on one to do to really show how wcw did nothing with brett Hart the maybe, following. maybe that dx pay-per-view uh that's, <laughs> that's a well boring show i don't think I, I don't want to watch another pig farmers tag match tlc tlc, TLC in the yeah i think last year we had the one with the joey ryan face busting open ladder spot do you remember that yeah Ooh. what was that that's a, i feel like that's an armageddon it's like 2006 or mm. something yeah, it's a bit of a gross moment um, but yeah, you know, there's quite a few to choose from. I look forward to reading all of your suggestions. But until then, take care. I love you. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.